Hello, everyone. It is Wednesday, May the 22nd of 2019, and that means it's time for Weekly Manga Recap here with your hosts, Nick and Chris. That's me. Chris, you're looking uh, rather looking really rugged there today. You Am got I? The big old beer. You got your real, your real mountain man, Chris. That's what I'm trying to be. I'm the big yeah. tough guy of this podcast, so. I mean. I'm the alternate option, so I was like, I'm like, yeah, let's go with that. Uh, I'm the big tough guy of the podcast. Now, excuse me while I slowly push the wrapper of my blueberry, red, white, and blueberry pop tarts out of the frame. And what all goes into that? I think they're just blueberry pop tarts that they painted red. It they're like they're American on. now, and I'm like, you got me. <laughs> I can't disagree with that logic. They are America's colors are. and those of many, many other nations because red and blue are very complimentary colors. So, yeah. Now, Nick. But no, exclusively American. Got to point out. Okay. I may have peaked this year. Not in like, not anything personal, like not physically, mentally, fiscally, emotionally, anything okay. like that. Okay, but in but. Ter- but in terms of popular uh, pop culture characters, I enjoy. I am having a fucking year. All right. What so, what do you uh, what do you mean by this? So, I mean, at this point, nobody really seems to be observing spoilers for for Endgame or no, uh, no. or Game of Thrones anymore. No Game of Thrones spoilers that that was out of the window like the night of. Yeah, so. while it was happening, people were like, "Holy shit, they killed the shit out of him!" Yeah. So if you haven't seen Endgame, then you've missed when Captain America lifts up Mjolnir because we always knew he was worthy, and he just starts right. beating the shit out of Thanos, and it's the coolest moment. And then he doesn't die. Instead, he gets he to gets go his back peanuts. He gets his peanuts. And Nick, I have been sitting here waiting for this last season of game of thrones saying every week this is it this old swarthy motherfucker davos davos who, is gonna die the yeah. only good person he is going to die not only does he not die that motherfucker is lord davos the master of ships by the end of this series nick my boy got his peanuts <laughs> that was a weirdo ending scene because honestly like i it's because I've uh, I had been out of Game of Thrones for I forget if I stopped right when season six began. I think that was it. Mm-hmm. Like it felt like it, it feels like it's been another year. But then I remember that there was a year where there was just no Game of Thrones. So right when season six began, I was like, OK, I'm all caught up. I'm going to watch along and I'm going to do this. And then like I started watching episode six and I was uh, episode one of season six. And I'm like, you know, what? I'm good. You know, I just, I just, I just don't really want, I don't really care enough to keep up with this. So I just kind of like occasionally looked so into what was going on in the series, saw the stuff that people were excited about and mostly what people were mad about because season six and especially season seven was where people were really like, oh, uh, and then season eight, I was like, oh, hey, it's ending. And hey, there's this, uh, there's this thing that people were really excited about in the first couple of episodes. Uh, so after like episode two of this season happened, I watched those two and then I was like, oh, there's this big battle that's going to happen and who knows what's going to happen with the Night King and this stuff. So I'll watch episode three live. It's like, well, that was stupid. Uh, <laughs> and episode four happened. And I was like, oh, this is I'm so glad that I don't care because I would be so mad if I did. 
That's really... I was just kind of enjoying the train wreck aspects of it. And then episode six happens. I'm like, this small council scene is like legitimately the only really good part of this episode. Honestly, <laughs> it's I. So here's the thing. I, I, I've gone on record. I like the end of the Game of Thrones. I think this final season sure, is, for the most part, very good. And I understand where people's complaints are. I think some of them are people misunderstanding certain characters. But hey, you know what? I lived through people not getting lost or not enjoying lost. And I'm fine with it. You go for it. I've lived through the worst of people being like, this popular show sucks because the ending didn't live up to my expectations. And it happens with every show. But for as much as Game of Thrones was maybe kind of there this last season, Veep was killing it in this last season. And after it ended, I was like, I want the team who made Veep, who write Veep, to just move over <laughs> and write a new series that's just those small council meets in every episode. It's just Davos being like... Them sniping oh at each other and Braun being like, I want sex! <laughs> and and just, everyone was like, you did nothing this season! <laughs> they're like, do you know how to count? This is a very important question. You are the minister, you're the master of coins. Do you know I know how that this pile of gold is bigger than that pile of gold. He's like, I know if you stack the coins like this, they look like titties. Little titties. <laughs> Brienne's like, oh my god, they do. And then Sam's over here like, I think we should do this very modern idea. He's like, ah, fuck you, you nerd. <laughs> and once, everyone boo, hates him. Boo, Sam! <laughs> what if we had elections and stuff? Ah, fuck you! My, my, uh... My family did a, a Game of Thrones death pool as like our big bet going into final season. Okay. Were, like it was like you had to pick three characters who you think would live, three who would die, uh, who do you think would sit on the Iron Throne at the end, and then who would rule the North? Which Stark would rule the North? Right. And my sister, God love her, she loves okay. Sam. So when it okay. came time to who rules the North, she's like, I, don't know, I think Sam might get it inherited to the him. North. <laughs> and I was like. Are you sure? And she went with it. It was her pick. <laughs> he, didn't even go, he didn't even go back to Winterfell. He just was like, he's not even from the north. No. He's not even remotely from it. <laughs> she believed in it, though. I still consider the smartest one in our family, too. Like, if at the start of the season you had made pools for that and it was like, who's going to rule the north? I mean, like, an outside bet you could go for would be like... You know, Theon, it's like he has a connection there. <laughs> but, yeah. But so it was it was, it was way. A, a weird tactical decision. By the way, there were so many characters that just got killed off in this season because they're in the way. It's just <laughs> See, that's what's worrying me, because they said George R. R. Martin has said in the books that he's like, there's too many point of view characters tied to trim those down. And I'm sitting there I'm like Davos is a point of view character. <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna kill Davos <laughs> well whenever he does finish those books you can just like pick and choose the parts of the two series that yeah, I'm like <laughs> Stannos never burned his daughter uh, Stannos never burned his daughter and Davos got to live a happy ending and become the master of ships why not why not perfect, perfect ending for everybody really oh man we should get to talking about manga because although we have been done a mercy this uh, week because we're doing talking about a recommendation and there were two series that are on break to give us time to talk about it. We still have lots to talk about. So, Chris, uh, I don't know. I guess I should have tried to like transition from talking about who was it, whoever was king of the north to yeah, talking about Nick. who was through the snow in the mountains. But yeah, oh, well. hold on, Nick. 
a very important question. You know, the part I had a big problem with was Kagane Bowl, which is, of course, where Stupid. Sandor Kagane came back to fight his brother, the Mountain. Ah. Uh, and you so know who else fights me. mountains, metaphorically? Which uh, right. the fight for the show had no metaphorical or, like, figurative context. It was just too big. Lots of characters in this manga. The Climber. Coco no Hito. So... Uh, we talked, we took this series, the climber quite a while back, honestly, but we've, you know, been on breaks and stuff without having any, uh, normal series to talk about. And so, uh, this series, which is a, uh, very metaphorical, uh, coming of age story in a sports manga Trojan horse, um, I guess that you kind of have to talk about it in two parts, one of which is much longer than the other. <laughs> one of which you think you're like, oh, I kind of get it. Like, it's a sanded series, so it's going to be a little bit more edgy and adult, but it's still got all the trappings. Like, the second chapter is called Rope Buddies. So it's all yeah. about the fact that mountain climbing is a, a sport that's kind of done with teams, and that's very important. And the main character's conflict is that he's an isolationist. He doesn't want yes. to. He, he's, he's very introverted. He doesn't want to do it with others. So the whole story is going to be about him learning um, that he has yeah. to work with others to, to raise himself to the greatest heights of the sport that he finds so much satisfaction from. Clearly, that's going to be what it is. His wise mentor character is going to be with him all the way. Yeah. So I uh, did a bit of research on this series and um, apparently what happened, this is a, the series is based on a novel, which is based on a real life figure who lived in the early 20th century, uh, died around the time of World War II uh, because he was a mountain climber. And that's what happens to many of them, as this series does not neglect to point out. Uh, I will give a credit for that. And uh, so our main character, I keep on forgetting his name because I for, it, it's weird. It's one of those it's one of those kinds of series where, like, honestly, a lot of the names aren't important. <laughs> um, Maury is our main character and he starts off the series. He's a new transfer into this school and uh, he ends up climbing stuff just because. Mm hmm. He doesn't really even like have interest in it at first. And some bullies at school like dare him to climb up to the roof. So he just fucking does it in the first chapter. And uh, they get in trouble until their teacher kind of takes them under his wing. And he's like, we're going to start a, a, a mountain climbing club. And, you know, we're going to actually, you know, have it so that this stuff is sanctioned. So you guys don't climb up onto the roof like a bunch of idiots and eventually fall and die or someone will sue the school or whatever. And things are going to be good from here. No more controversy from this point forward. Yep. We've got our main cast. We have our main character, mm -hmm. Mori. We have sort of the Lancer and Miyamoto. Yeah, there's, Miyamoto. There's, there's a, a Yumi, the, 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 the cute manager who doesn't really know anything about mountain climbing, but so uh, she'll, she's, she'll be there for other people to explain the mm -hmm. sport to her and thus the audience though. Mm -hmm. And there's also uh, kind of like the side character. There's like F Fujita. I forget what was his name. Fuku. Fuku. Fuku, I think. Fuku. Yeah. So he's not like, he's not the talented one, but you could do a side story about him for sure. Like he's definitely got like yeah. a side arc to follow. I'm sure that something relevant will happen with him. Um, and 
that's kind of the way the series is for a while. There is some cool stuff to it because we learn about the, you know, the little mac, the machinae of, of mountain climbing, how uh, what the, what's important in the shoes that you wear in order to climb. you got to actually have them be very tight uh, so that you can actually properly grip with your feet. Uh, there's all the different equipment that uh, you've got to secure when you're climbing. Uh, they uh, more. Miyamoto and uh, Mori are put into this uh, competition where they have to climb this wall uh, so you can see what they're both capable of. And Miyamoto at this point is way better than him just because he's been doing this for so much longer. But, oh, oh, that new rival of his, he's he's got that talent. He's got that in, innate ability to just see the correct path uh, in order to climb uh, uh, properly. Uh, and then... Something odd happens with this series because after a few volumes, uh, the writer of it just left the project and the artist uh, continued on without them and took over writing as well and took it in a completely different direction, <laughs> like basically killing everyone. <laughs> I was I was going to say, because so there's there's a point early on in the series where we meet uh, this old guy who owns the the mountain climbing store in like he owns the mountain climbing store where they're going to buy stuff and he has this thing where he's like my greatest dream is to see like a great Japanese mountain climber come out of it so I'm going to support the youth he's he, he's got kind of like this cool look to him and mm-hmm. he seems like he's going to be like kind of this older wiser mental figure. And this tournament happens. He's part of the sponsoring for it. Like he's supplying. He designed the wall that they're climbing. And the big thing is that when Mori goes to climb it, he's doing really well, but he gets disqualified into technicality because he doesn't loop his rope through uh, one of the hooks, which is a danger to himself. Right. So it's not like he gets disqualified because he's failing. He disqualified himself because he throws away his own caught, like his own safety net for seemingly no reason. So the old guy goes to have a talk with him on the roof and he goes up to talk to him and be like, hey, like, let me tell you this story about how mountain climbing is a thing you do with other people. It's not to be done alone. It's a way that you actually get closer to people. And he starts telling a story about how he went up on the mountain with a friend of his and there was like a small accident and he got hurt. Like the, the guy telling the story got hurt. And he's like, I don't think I can keep going up. We have to, I think we're going to have to go back. And his friend was like, no, man, we're too close. I'm going to go up without you. And then they found that guy's corpse a couple days later. He's like, it's it, like, I don't want to see you become like him. He's like, but that is what I want to be. And then the old guy thinks back to his, his flashback. Maybe I was the one who was tying myself down. Maybe I was wrong. He's like, and I remember discovering my friend's frozen corpse with a smile upon it. And I was like, truly, that man knows how to live. And I was like, oh, this was not the lesson I expected to get out of this conversation. And suddenly every character has that exact same situation come up like every mentor figure to mori has a revelation where they're like i'm the idiot <laughs> i'm the asshole so once that writer left the the new writer of the series was essentially like yeah here's why that's stupid and i'm going to take a really long time to make that point <laughs> and what you get is a series that is about it really pushes over and over the idea that you can't do this on your own. 
And I don't just mean you can't climb mountains on your own because you can, but bad shit will happen to you even if you succeed. But more the idea of you can't live on your own. That's not how humans were meant to live. No matter how comfortable you are just being by yourself, there are certain things you need other people for. It comes down to finding the right people for you. And that can be really, really difficult for some people. But if you are able to do it, you will be better off than you were when you were isolating yourself. Even if you think that all the people around you are just going to screw you over, which many people probably will, the right people are out there for you. That's what the series is about. And it takes a really long time to make that point. Like the series kind of takes that really sharp right turn about 30 chapters in and then goes on for another like 130 chapters beyond that. And that's the point of that second part of the series uh, to make a really long story short. And it's not even actually a really long story because as, as long as that is, a lot of it's very visual. Mm-hmm. Amazingly, when you tell an artist he's got to write the story too, he's like, okay, hang on. <laughs> I'll put some dialogue and narration in here eventually. <laughs> Someone came in to like, you know, there's supposed to be word bubbles in a manga, right? He's like, go fuck yourself and get out of my house. Hang on a second. This mountain is also a dick. <laughs> I'm talking about that part separately. <laughs> there's so there, there's, I think, actually an extremely interesting narrative here because I, I really came into this. I didn't even know that there was a there was a shift that way. I just thought the story became dramatically different. And I thought it was really strange because there there is an element of this story that does seem to examine just like kind of the idiocy of sports. And I I mean this like not as an insult, but that there's a lot of times where you're kind of examining like the idea of pushing yourself to this degree. And for oftentimes the zero sum gratification that really comes from it, like it really kind of only you only do it because it gives you a high that helps you feel alive when you are ironically doing the most dangerous thing you could possibly be doing right now. Right. There's a period of time when... You only feel alive when you're staring death in the face kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. and there's there's a period of time where Mito uh, is doing all these things because, as we mentioned, he's, he's, he, he's very introverted. He hates being around people. And mountain climbing is, for him, a way to kind of find places that other people just aren't. Like, there's a very significant scene where he's kind of lost in the mountain people are trying to find him he gets out of a dangerous situation and he looks to his left he's like ah cool i'm safe he looks to his left and he sees like a city down at the bottom of the summit and he's like no i don't want to go there and then he ventures deeper into the mountain into a more dangerous territory and at first you're like yeah that's just how he kind of sees it but then later on he just basically says he's like yeah you're not really escaping any of your problems by mountain climbing they all still exist people are still going to be there um you just do it because i don't know why and that's a very profoundly human sentiment (laughs) (laughs) uh i think that one of the god i'm not really sure where to so so his major his goal throughout the series, like the big sports manga kind of goal is to climb the highest mountain in the world. Not Everest K2, because uh, K2 is actually taller. Um, 
and like it's a, it's a thing that you see a lot especially during in his adult life is that he's got this you know this motivational slogan that he puts up on his wall that just says you know conquer the tallest mountain in the world that's that's what i'm going to do and that's his goal through the series and of course it's very difficult to do that cuz you can't just you know go there and do it it you know requires equipment and you've got to have money in order to get the equipment and supplies and there have got to be, you know, people that help you in some capacity, even if you, even if you do decide to tr- to climb it on your own. So he's got to do all this stuff in the meantime. He's got to gather funds and everything. And he spends, you know, a lot of his adult years, uh, his young adult years doing this, just prepping, uh, training, gathering funds uh, to do all this. And so time goes by. Uh, as he as this happens and we see the effects uh, that his mentor dying uh, had on the rest of the mountain climbing club. Uh, Fuku. I mean, he married and had kids, so he's fine. <laughs> he's just over there. He's, yeah. You don't he's like, he, he doesn't have the heartbreaking story, so he's over there. <laughs> but. First of all, uh, their manager, Yumi, even before Unishi died, all these rumors of her sleeping around were being spread around and stuff. And then this kind of sent her into a spiral, which caused her to uh, end up becoming a prostitute. And then she still uh, sleeps around with other men, even after she's married. Uh, But she's actually kind of okay, like compared to... (laughs) Lancer, great rival character of the series, much more, you know, experienced at doing this mountain climbing stuff than Mori uh, Miyamoto uh, is. Because his whole thing at the start of the series, and he tells Mori this because he's got everything figured out. He's got a plan. Uh, and he's after high school, he's going to go to France and he's going to go camp out there uh, next to this mountain range. And he's just going to climb it like every day. He's going to climb it over and over and over again and find all these different routes through this mountain range. That's what he's going to do. And uh, so Mori comes across him uh, much later in life uh, when they're both, I don't know, 25 or something like that. Miyamoto dropped out of high school to do this. And uh, so he sees him and he's like, all right, we're, we're, uh, you know, we're, we're back together. It's nice to see you. And uh, you know, I was like, yeah, yeah, I never actually made it to the top of that of that ravine because I got all the way up there. But then I ruptured the ten the, the, the tendons in my fingers. So I couldn't quite get all the way up. Uh, but I'm going to get back there. Hey, you know what? Hey, uh, Maury. Uh, so, you know, um, um, uh, I'm uh, really good at uh, 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 exchange rates. I know how to you know play the foreign exchange rate market. So if you give me all your money, I can get like 10 times the amount back to you. And Maury's like, I no, look, this isn't, you know, my money that I have. No, this is like, you know, a research institute's money that, you know, I'm working with that just trust me with it. So I'm not going to gamble with other people's money. Sorry. No. So me and I was like, uh, okay, well, um, why don't you give me the keys to your car so that I can bring it here? And Mori's like, <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> and Miyamoto steals all his fucking money so that he can go get booze. And Yumi comes up and is like, yeah, um, that guy never went to France. He just tells people he did. Uh, he stuck around here doing nothing for years and he keeps on bar- you know, borrowing slash stealing money from people and wasting it on booze. He's a completely worthless leech on society. Well, okay. <laughs> cool, I guess. Fucking mountain climbing, yo. <laughs> what a sport. Because Mori had been thinking to himself, like, what have I been doing with my life when he went out there and achieved his dream and, you know, he's still he's still living the dream. And it's like, oh, wow. Okay. And so, all of a sudden, from that point, uh, Mori meets a girl and they fall in love and they get married and they have a kid. And that happens in like four chapters. Yeah. There's a lot of time progression, time skipping uh, montages that happen uh, after Mori gets out of high school because in the important beats in his life as he's up to the point where he actually goes to K2 in order to, to climb to the summit, uh, seeing the kind of person that he has become by the time that he actually climbs up there. Uh and one of the most important things that happens is that he ends up getting a sort of disciple. What is his name? Like Rio, Rio, the stupid one. Um, there's a lot of stupid ones in the series. Sorry. Say, no, you're not going to get it. Out of me. <laughs> Who, by the way, at the time that Mori is bonding with Miyamoto, uh, sleeps with Yumi and we get this really weird chapter full of odd visuals. Um, and essentially, she gives him a blowjob so good that he forgets about climbing mountains for a while. <laughs> Is the yes. metaphor that we see. There, there's a lot of very strange uh, visuals that get brought into it. The scene where she meets him at his place and is crawling over top of him. He's so, not since homunculus. <laughs> he's so horrified with what's happening. He only visualizes it as this massive growth of flesh that is now encompassing all of his body from the waist down. And you're like, I think he might need some help beyond mountain climbing at this point. He's not very well adjusted, basically. And but he's the reason that Mori ends up actually going to climb K2 because he becomes absolutely obsessed with uh, just climbing mountains over and over and over again to the point that his father gets worried for him. And so he goes to Mori, who by this point, you know, has a family and kids and is kind of thinking, like, maybe I don't have to do this you know, anymore. I've got this, you know, actual life. There's, this is not one, my, my one true calling anymore. And he's like, you've got to save my son, please. Uh, he's just doing this. He's going off in these mountains alone. And he's climbing very dangerously. And I think you're the only person that he'll listen to. And more is like, gotcha. We'll climb K- K2 together. Basically. <laughs> I, it's only amusing when you tell it, because as you read it, you're like, oh, my God, stop. Like you, I don't know what happened to you that made you so like easy to walk over. But anytime something is remotely suggested to him, he's like, sounds well, like him out. Okay. <laughs> like, no, you have a family. What are you doing now? <laughs> Maury, please. My son won't stop climbing mountains. You've got to climb a mountain. Got it. <laughs> it's the only way to solve this. <laughs> So they end up climbing K2 
His disciple dies, like you do. Mm-hmm. Um, he also ends up coming across the mysterious angel tattoo, but not tattoo because it was on only on his shirt rival who showed up at his first uh, oh, climbing competition. Shit, I forgot that. <laughs> by all, the way, all the details that I assume were originally created by the first uh writer and then like had to be filled in Rocked. later on <laughs> by the way maury has a mysterious not quite completely explained connection at a previous school of his to a guy named what Mizuki, who uh suicide and is now like in a coma in the hospital and maury feels guilt over this and this is seemingly the reason why he he was has withdrawn from the world uh, because he felt guilty uh, for causing this to a person that he got close to. Seemingly, it's never fully explained because it stopped being important because it went, the series went in a different direction when uh, Sakamoto took over. Uh, Shinichi Sakamoto is uh, the one guy who stayed on for the entire series. Anyway, um, so there is another guy who shows up after Mori has had his first climbing competition who showed up to watch the whole thing and he was doing shit like, you know, and then hung down by his toes to look through the window at everything happening and then, like, he acts like he's going to jump off the roof after he's talked with Mori and Mori tries to save him and he's like, no, you shouldn't do that. If you're going to climb on your own, you have to trust other people to climb on your own, so don't help me. And then what he finishes dropping and he's, oh, he caught himself on the window ledge on like the next floor down. And so you really want to be like that. He grabs the window. He's like, oh, too much weight. And then like rips the arm. He's like, ah, brick on the window ledge falls out. Oh, fuck. (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) Uh, But Maury finds him in like a little ravine in the mountains where he, he was had he finds his corpse and he had been like stripping his clothes off because he was at the point of hypothermia where your body starts to feel hot and he was clawing at his skin and stuff and he's frozen to death and Maury's like uh, well I guess this is where you wound up huh well I'll take a little bit of your hair back so that I can you know confirm who you are through, through DNA testing and he sees this visual appear before him of the guy being like no if you're going to climb by yourself, you shouldn't help other people. It's like, well, you're already dead. So yeah, we're it's... just going to make sure your family gets closure. But <laughs> I assume that the rules of mountain climbing don't apply to every aspect of life. But no, leave me alone. <laughs> I was like, I don't think you made those shitty fucking Chris Angel clothes by yourself either. So <laughs> clearly you're willing to accept that some aspect of teamwork needs to exist in community and civilization entirely. I died in delusional agony, making me the right one about how to live my life. (laughs) He's like, well, all logic says I should disagree with you based on the fact that you're a corpse alone here in the mountain with no one knowing where you are. But But I am. I am. (laughs) So I assume you're correct. I am Maury, and I do climb anything that you put in front of me that's more than six inches tall. So. <laughs> oh, Maury. So the series ends with Maury successfully climbing K2. Uh, he ends up basically having to fucking drag himself the last, I don't know, 30 miles or whatever, uh, just trudging through the snow delirious dying of of exposure 
but he gets up there. He manages. To, he looks out from you know the highest point in the world and over everything. And he's like, "I finally did it, and now I can die in peace." But because this manga actually has a constant theme throughout it, at least through you know that major part of the story, he thinks of his wife and daughter back home. And he realizes that even without mountains, he has something to live for. And so he gets himself up and he half kills himself coming down from the mountain. He manages to survive the experience, but he like on the climb back, like his hands and feet are destroyed. Frostbite takes fingers and toes. Uh, he's sapped of strength. And so he is essentially, if you look at him purely from the perspective of, oh, he was this legendary climber who could take on any obstacle. Oh, it's like he died on that mountain. Uh, he's shell of him for of his former self. But um, after like some random, you know, I don't know, mountain climbing otaku or whatever sees him and he's like you know has to walk with you know walking sticks and stuff and he's very weak and he's like oh my god is that really him uh, or you know by himself uh and he you know climbs a small rock he manages to even with his much weaker body get up onto a rock and he sits down and he thinks of his wife and child back home and now he's going to go back home to them and he has a Bittersweet, but mostly happy ending. He got to achieve this great goal of his, and he found a sense of closure at the end of everything, which was that he doesn't need to just rely upon this dogged pursuit of the unconquerable uh, mountain anymore. He found the right people in his life, and he doesn't have to be alone anymore, and he's not just happy being alone. So it's a happy ending at the end of things. And again, completely negates the whole like maybe i was wrong to think that you should you know survive climbing mountains <laughs> so with that said i want to talk about my favorite part of this manga there's one moment that will stick out for me against all tests of time and it, it, it involves the iconic death of maury's mentor uh there's a moment yeah where uh he has gone up into the mountain. Right. And he gets lost. And his mentor, whose name I cannot remember for the life of Onichi. Me, Onichi is like, we have to go after. Basically, uh, he was convinced to go up there by like this climbing magazine run by what seems to be a very shady guy who only cares about money, who was formerly a climber who has some connection with Onichi. And Onichi's like, hey. We can't do I can't do this alone. You have to come with me. The only other experience climbing here. So the two of them go climbing up this mountain after him. And there's this moment where this like abrupt backstory is given for both of these characters right. that they they shared a past in the the high school climbing club or college climbing club i don't know where they did it because apparently this climbing club was just dropped them off in the middle of the fucking alps and was like this is a club yeah i was like there was there was very little supervision like an 18 year old apparently led this group it was just like now nobody go falling into ravines and dying which is exactly what happens there's there's this whole like narrative that the the shady journalist guy 
left someone to die in order to save himself. That they were they were hanging over a rope. They were or hanging over a ravine. Uh, the woman that was with him basically was just she she was essentially worthless. She had no physical strength left in her, so she's just dead weight kind of hanging. And the guy took a knife and cut a rope, and that's apparent. Like that's the biggest taboo. You can't cut the rope, even if you How die. Dare you? Yeah, right. So and, and Onichi apparently was like, "I loved her too, you fucking monster. I found her corpse and everything." And they spend the entirety of this, like, kind of arc being like, this is what you're about. And then, like, very abruptly at the end, he's like, no, that's not what happened. She cut herself off to save me. And she died happy because she was in the mountains or something. And they're going after, uh, oh, my God, I'm forgetting his name. Modi? Mori? Mori. Mori. I don't know why I'm calling him Moody. Mori is is climbing like they've caught up with him. And they're like, hey, fuck nuggets. Get back here so you don't die. Nope. Mountain's still in front of me. Gotta climb it. He's like, people haven't been to the top of this. I mean, a lot of people have, but most people haven't. So I'll truly be alone up here. And he's scaling up there really fast. And uh, the the teacher's like, watch. He's like, wait a minute. Have I been wrong the entire time? I tell Mori that he needs to take things slow and work with others. That's the only true way to experience mountain climbing. But as I'm here watching his back, maybe I sit here and I have to acknowledge that truly I am the idiot here and that I am the one who doesn't understand mountain climbing. And then a rock hits him in the face, giant rock hits him in the face and he dies. (laughs) It's it's almost something out of a comedy where like Maury's climbing and he accidentally like, like dislodges like a rock and it's falling. And like the shitty journalist guy is like, Hey, watch out for that rock! And fucking Maury's instructor's too busy going on this long inner monologue about why Maury's way of climbing is the only legitimate one, and what a fucking asshole he was for ever considering using teamwork in mountain climbing. And as it happens, he just gets crushed by a rock in the face. <laughs> oh, maybe he maybe he wasn't wrong after all. Fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah, it's like I can understand it if you're like, I guess unintentionally Mori caused death, not just because he also got lost in the right. mountains, but also because, you know, we, he's partially responsible, I guess, for the accident. But you're like, it's not as though the guy didn't have a chance to respond. He was so up his own ass fucking <laughs> being like, oh, what an asshole I've been all these years that he couldn't just, like, duck around the rock instead of taking his face first. So, so, yeah. Um... I I did it come away from the series thinking that it was quite it kind of it was quite good by the end. There are certainly some parts of it that are just unpleasant, um, but I do really like appreciate the overall theme of it, uh, and I think that it does stick to its guns after a certain point, uh, and that ends up making it, making a pretty satisfying experience to read it. Honestly, so- and I do appreciate that it wasn't just down to like. You gotta climb that mountain. It's you really shouldn't climb that mountain, but he kind of feels like he's got to. <laughs> I, I I will say that if anyone is reading this and they're a little put off by how it begins, maybe not necessarily how it begins, but it feels like it's going to be a little bit more to what we kind of expect shonen sports or not so, uh, but like sports manga to be, where it's like it starts off at a high school club and then kind of grows up from there. Uh, but more so when it becomes about Mori and his life. Uh, mm. If you worry that you're like, this is really pessimistic and, like, uncomfortable, 
part of that's the point, and it does get better eventually question mark like you're gonna have to like tread through some shit like it's and it's a lot of it is is very figurative and kind of like layered and allegories that you kind of have to dig through Mm -hmm. the mountain is by all extent a character but not like a specific mountain just mountains in general are all one kind of collective character for like challenge put it this way um the chapter where he decides that uh, Hana, his wife, is this woman that he has romantic interest in uh, is intercut with him being in a ma- on a mountain because that is basically how he sees the world by that point. He feels the he on him and crush him, and the only way they can get out of it is to dive head first through a snowball and climb through that in order to get to safety. He just feels this instinctive urge to talk to this girl, or else she's going to be out of his life forever. But that's the metaphor that is used to explain that is climbing a mountain. Um, we also see a bit where. Um, he reflects on this life that he never had because he's been obsessed with climbing mountains. And it's very sad because he imagined this other life where, you know, he like met a girl and, and, and had a kid with her and stuff. And he's just in his shitty apartment that he can barely afford. He's behind on rent because he's dedicated his entire life to climbing this stupid fucking mountain. And he's just in his room crying over this stuff that he doesn't have because he is so one directional. And once he actually breaks out of that flow, which takes him quite a while to do, he's so much happier when he finds this balance and then eventually is able to leave this self-destructive aspect of himself behind. So... I like that a lot. Yeah, it is eventually a, a pretty. I don't know if it's easy to say like a positive story. It's it's a happier story that it starts out with. Yeah, and there's a good part to it. You have to get through some some pretty dark stuff to get to that point. But um, I guess maybe it's all a metaphorical message. The same way mountain climbing is, where you kind of just have to stick through it. Like, it's fucking exhausting and shitty at times. Eventually you reach that peak. Tough. You get to the top of the peak, and then, kind of like the manga, you were like, I guess this wasn't really worth all that effort. You go back down. You're like, I have things to do. All in the family starting up again tonight. Maybe, Chris, maybe the key to enjoying this series is, just like with mountain climbing, to make sure you don't do it alone. Yeah. Anyways, guys, Nick and I are starting up separate manga podcasts. Yeah, after that's that. right. And we're you're both- going to have you're going to have weekly mon, and I'm going to have ga recap. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only fair way to do the divorce. Now, Nick got more letters, but I have more vowels, and I think that's the important part. I'm sorry. I I, I think that you got more letters. <laughs> well, when you. You know what? I got everything, guys. Truly, <laughs> this is the best of all worlds. <laughs> it really is a good year to be, Chris. Anyway. <laughs> fuck that other guy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, week- Weekly Mon, hosted by Chris and Rolo T. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Shonen, official Shonen Jump podcast, favorite other manga podcast. That's right. <laughs> okay. With that said, uh, I think that we will move on from our recommended series to talk about the uh, weekly series, the recap portion, weekly manga recap. I usually am much smoother about doing that transition, but I wasn't this time. Oh, well. <laughs> We're going to start things off with My Hero Academia, Chris. Oh. It's chapter 228, uh, still going on in the battle of, between the Villain Alliance and the Metahuman Liberation Front. Uh, it's number 228, Wounded Soul. So last time it seemed as though an Eskimo guy was going to be fighting with Dobby, and we see a little bit of that, but then we learned that it's probably going to be more of one of those kinds of things that it's a fight happening within a wider group fight that you're going to cut back a lot to, as opposed to something that's going to just get continuous, constant focus, uh, And because uh, we're pretty sure they cut away from it. Uh, we do see that the guy, the Eskimo guy who doesn't get a name yet, doesn't seemingly produce ice he controls ice because he's, he has to actually summon it from like convenience stores nearby it's in like order Hiram to fight from so i don't think that remember, this is going to go well for him remember that iconic scene in i guess it was x-men 2 where he was like i can't create it i can only control it and magneto right. has some Ice line Man. he has some line where he's like Fuck eventually, you, nerd, be a part of the brotherhood. Oh, well, and Magnus like, eventually you may learn to produce your own flame or some shit like that. And I sit there, arms crossed, and I'm like, that's not canon. Pyro doesn't create his own flames. How dare you? Inspiring. Yeah, fuck him. And it's like, all right, X3, the long-awaited showdown. <laughs> this made this movie worth it, didn't it? Look, Iceman iced up finally. <laughs> oh my god, I'm trying to think. Did they actually even fight in that movie? My mind's such a hellscape when I think of the end of that movie and I sit there and I'm like, you had Colossus and Juggernaut in the same movie and you didn't have them even interact at all, which is fucking mind-boggling. But when you decided who had to fight fucking Juggernaut, you were like, how about Shadowcat fights him? And I was like, god fucking damn it. Well, let's see. Because at the end of that movie, there were like six main X-Men doing the battle. It was Wolverine, Beast, Colossus, Shadowcat, Man, Storm? I think she would still be around. It would have made sense. But yeah, and Colossus gets like two lines in that entire movie. (laughs) Colossus basically exists to carry a television through one scene and then to throw Wolverine with the fastball special at one point. Pretty much. Oh man! And th- w- after giving us that ho- that big tease in the second movie, where he was so cool for one scene, everyone was like, "Yeah!" Everyone was like, "He's super cool," and he's like, "You, you're cool right now. Go protect the children. Don't worry, we'll make it up for you in the next movie." <laughs> hey, you got to throw Wolverine and get zero lines. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll make it up to you in a completely different franchise, like ten years later. <laughs> they really did, thankfully. Yeah. Anywho, so they fight. Uh, there's a huge explosion as the fire and ice blast against each other, ripping apart buildings and stuff. Uh, Mr. Compress is trying to regroup because everyone has gotten separated. Uh, Toga's gone. Spinner and Shigaraki are seemingly off somewhere together. And also, he doesn't know 
where Twice is. But fortunately, Twice has managed to find Toga. Uh, and he starts really freaking out and he's having his argument with himself going on, just, you know, contradicting himself as he freaks out over her because she's clearly in really bad shape. And he is, you know, crying over her. Oh, you're so beaten up. Are you? Oh, and he tries to get her attention by, you know, taking out the handkerchief that she gave him. I want you covered him before. And he says, you've got to live because you gave me a place to belong. Someone like me, you made me feel needed. Uh, and then these figures uh, sneak up behind them. Oh, he's been found. Mm. And we cut back to the main headquarters of the Metahuman Liberation Front, where the weird, dark-haired guy is observing everything on a computer monitor. And these weird-looking guys in suits come in to see him. And he's uh, while he's typing away at stuff. And uh, he's like, all right, well, Toga's, Toga's still alive, and we've got to kill her for uh, in order to accomplish Curious's goal. And then he starts talking to himself as as he sends in these suited goons after twice, saying Jin Bubagawara, a.k.a. twice, in a sense, the exact opposite of Toga, a man who cloned himself and nearly died doing so, a man who lost sight of what makes him an individual. We cut to twice's point of view and all of the people that have been sent after him have his face. Well, that's terrifying. (laughs) What a perfect dick move to send a bunch of guys who look like him after the guy who nearly died to a bunch of clones of himself. Ugh. And he thinks, and the black hair guy says to himself, living as you were meant to live, liberating your meta ability gave you nothing but a wounded soul. With your meta ability, we can revive Redestro should the unthinkable happen. Destro's death was tragic, but we won't see history repeat itself. Can you even comprehend, Bubagawara, how to best use what you have? Why can't you see your own value? We're drafting you into the Liberation Army. And the dolls, essentially, that he has created start to descend upon Twice and Toga and grab at them. And we learn that this man's ability is called Anthropomorph. He can transform any human-sized object into a puppet that he controls. So he has crafted these puppets to look like Twice to take advantage of his trauma, which is a real dick move. Uh, And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is super cool. Like, it's 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 funny that we we go into this on this idea of like it's the fire dude fighting this ice dude we don't know of and who has no personality beyond he is an ice dude and you're like i mean okay i guess all the league of villains are gonna get their own fights and then we just like quick cut to an objectively far more interesting (laughs) scenario that i'm like holy shit like i was about to be like yeah i'm kind of gonna fade out a little bit during this dobby thing dobby will get some cool power like effect it'll be cool and it's like hold on we're gonna go twice needs some real trauma done to him i was like bitch i'm back in (laughs) (laughs) and i am all about this i cannot wait to see what happens with this i love i love the art in this 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 chapter is just so good and it's so and I love how the dolls that he creates are so very obviously like inhuman because they have this just emotionless ex- blank expression on their face. Uh, it's really creepy. 
I will also say in regards to the Dobby thing, I find it interesting that we're getting these you know, villains paired off. Uh, and of course, you know, we got this insight into Toga's backstory. We're getting this, you know, look into twice as they try and take advantage of that uh, in his Slack profile. But I get the impression that because they just sent the ice guy to fight Dobby, that maybe they don't have that insight on Dobby. And so we're not really going to get any insight on him at this juncture to kind of just like preserve that odd, mysterious quality that he has to him uh, for now. A little bit of extra context when it came to Spinner in this last arc, some extra Mm -hmm. details. So I could see them definitely doing that. I'd be very curious to see if they do anything with Mr. Compress because we don't know really anything about that guy. Right. And you'd think you'd think that uh, especially because he's older than the rest of them, that there would be more more data to pull on him unless he's just been really, really good at disguising himself for this entire life. But we'll see. Yeah. All right, let's jump over to Food Wars. Shokiyaki no Soma, Chapter 311, The Taste of Failure. Yeah, you could say that about a Food Wars entire arc. <laughs> Guys, it's Mr. Plinkett from Red Letter Media. Oh, I don't like, I don't like anything new. <laughs> this was so disappointing because I have a closed mind when it comes to old properties and don't think you can be creative in any way. Also, there are women chained up in my basement. Ah, this is funny for the first time you hear this joke, but then everyone will drive it into the ground with imitations of it over the next decade. Chapter Anyway. <laughs> so, uh, Soma has presented his dish. All the judges love his every cuisine fried rice thing, and he has asked that Arianna's mother taste as well, and she's like, huh. Whatever. And she sends she sends Une to get uh, the dish and also a bucket saying, this is for when I throw up your dish and it tastes all nasty. It's like, OK, oh, you're sure. Really just, you're really just setting yourself up for this at this point. I mean, yeah. So she tastes the dish. Uh, well, Une tries to reflect on, you know, the dish didn't seem all that good when it was first presented, but the judges' reactions are very strange. They, they seem to be just as entranced as they were about Sahi Saiba's dish, but looking closer, they seem even more. And as Mana digs into this, she's like, there's something odd about this, but what is it? And then she goes, oh, <laughs> it's an entirely unexpected flavor! And then someone like appears next to her. He's like, oh, you got to crack it open to get the real flavor. <laughs> yeah, he's like, well, hold on. I didn't show you the you extra surprise. You got to pour this on in order to get the real flavor. <laughs> yeah, then it all explodes. If you open up this compartment, there's another thing. <laughs> Inside each grain of rice is a tiny Rue Goldberg machine <laughs> that exists to deliver flavor just as it reaches the zenith. And I call this my rice transforming dish. And then I've got the transforming transformer dish where each grain of rice has a little Optimus Prime inside of it in truck form. But then when he hits your tongue, he transforms into robot form. And then you just kind of, um, I guess you just swallow him. But uh, uh, fuck, the gimmick is great until that point. <laughs> yeah, cool, isn't it? Yeah. So 
Asahi's goons are like, whoa, this is impossible. How's there? It doesn't look special at all. And Asahi's like, I knew something wasn't right about that dish. Something felt off the instant the cloche was removed. His dish is fried rice. He uses tons of butter and soy sauce and spices. Yet it hardly had any aroma. And Soma explains that this is due to Oof mayonnaise. I don't fucking know how to say French, so that's the best just, you're getting. Just oof, my man. Big oof, mayonnaise. Big oofs. Uh, there is a glaze on the dish. A glaze of each grain of rice contains a miniature omo rice. The moment you bite into them, the eggy coating is broken, releasing all the flavors and aromas of the dish onto your palate in one explosive rush. I call it my odorless fried rice. And one of all, all of Asai's goons are like, this is impossible. And uh, the, they're sorry. really freaking out about this. Like, I, I gather that, like, it's their dude. So, I mean, I know what it's like to watch a Giants game against the Eagles and Eagles receiver will make a perfectly legal catch with no defender touching him. And I'm still going to be like, holding. He, he touched the ground. He steroids. <laughs> What? An Eagles wide receiver said the N-word once none of them should be allowed to catch. Magnets! <laughs> I'm really, I really just go after any excuse I can. Right. So Sarge is like, how did you come up with such a preposterous idea in the first place? And Soma says, I can't claim the idea for myself. I learned it from another chef, my mom. This dish was one of her many, many utter failures. And we get an introduction to Soma's mother, finally, to Tamako Yukihira, who we see that Soma watching stuff as when he's six years old, seeing his mom in the Yukihira shop that apparently his grandfather was the one who actually founded, uh, or at the very least, his grandfather is the current head of the establishment. And so his mom looks a lot like him, like a lot, a lot like him, like blonde Soma, basically. To, to the point where there's certain shots where you're like, you just took the soma face and you added like spiky blonde hair on top of it <laughs> basically yes uh and so basically one of the uh patrons at the place is like hi hey tamako can i have a chef special and immediately like everyone in the in the else in the place is like oh boy here comes another one and she serves the guy the dish, and he gets molested by an octopus. And they're like, yeah, she's a terrible chef. She cannot cook to save her life. Um, and uh, But everyone loves her she, she for different reasons. Um, and uh, But she loves cooking despite the fact she's not actually good at it. And that's what gave Soma his love of cooking was cooking together with her in the kitchen. Uh, not really caring if the dish turns out good or bad, just, you know, being there and seeing, seeing how it is. You know, what I loved most was watching my mom as she had fun in the kitchen. It's a very sweet little sentiment. Wish we'd gotten it some point prior to chapter 311. Yeah. But... So, so here's the thing. This is actually, I think, a really great chapter in terms of, like, this explanation. Like, giving us this context is super important because this adds a lot more depth into Soma. And suddenly... Everything about Soma that is normally kind of this weird trait about him is suddenly mm -hmm. so much more interesting because it's all coming from somebody like 
it doesn't mean as much when you're like, oh, Soma's like this super amazing chef who sometimes fucks up, but he was also trained by the greatest chef in the world. And you're like, actually, Soma gets almost all of his passion from cooking from somebody who didn't know how to cook. Yeah. And was not Soma where it's like, oh, well, sometimes she makes real stinkers, but otherwise she's a great chef. No, they're like, she's terrible. She really cannot cook. But every so often she creates these like super great dishes. And I was like, that's a really interesting trait. And you could do so much more to expand upon who she is and what she means to Soma and how he kind of carries on with her memory. Like there's so much like actual context you can get for what Soma's character is. If we started following this story earlier than, yeah, as you said, 300 chapters in, and maybe this is me jumping onto the bandwagon of Nick where I'm like, there's another arc after this guys. If only because I'm like, I fucking can't believe you would introduce something this interesting and good into the story and then abruptly end it with no other information because there's fucking tons here you could explore. And I would hate if it's just a waste that's kind of thrown in here at the last minute to be like, Oh, right. Soma's mom. We have to do that at some point. Well, even if, even putting that part of it aside, I think that this would have a lot more impact if this arc had focused a lot more on the importance of Joichiro in this. The I, this idea of Joichiro being this perfect chef who was this grand conqueror and Asahi beating him. You know, that that point needed to really be pushed home in terms of like that connection and people think like, oh, well, that's what makes Soma so great or whatever is that he's Joichiro's son uh, and he carries on that legacy, which of them really carries on that legacy. That got brought up a few times, but this whole thing with, you know, Arian's mother, uh, all the stuff with Asahi just pointing out like I can just be perfect immediately with these tools and stuff like that complicates the delivery of that a bit. Um, So it's one of those things where, yeah, it, like in a bottle, this is a really cool idea, but it could have been so much better if it were working together with themes that were built throughout this arc. And I think a lot of it has to do with this just being pretty rushed. Um, so, yeah, I, I think maybe it's worth just a deep dive in and of itself at some point. But I mean, this is a this seems like this was like tailor made to be a story about. Soma's family, this arc, and this this rivalry with Asahi. And you could even have gone so far as to, to make this whole arc about Asahi and Soma and sort of this fight for who Jirichiro's true heir is. And at the very end, you reveal like something like this where you're like, oh wait, it was fucking never really just Jirichiro who was Soma's inspiration. Right. A lot of it and maybe you could even argue the most of the part that makes Soma who he is, is his mom. And that'd and be a really cool way of delivering it. Right. And that would explain the villain's downfall was he just didn't get it because his focus was in the right place, which is also to some degree uh, pointed out in this part. But I should also point out that because some people uh, on our discord, uh, Ask the question of like, so is Joichiro like actually Soma's biological father? Because they point out the point that Soma is six in this flashback and Joichiro is referred to as Tamako's new husband. Um, so did he actually come into their life at some point after after Soma was born? I don't think that that's necessarily the case. It's entirely possible that they had Soma before they got married. 
uh, for example. Um, and I don't think that there is actually anything to really suggest that Joey Drew is not his biological father. So anyway, but his mom is a Quincy. Oh uh, yes. Right. So um, remember that's now added into it. So he has Quincy powers too. Right. So in addition to getting the hollow powers, uh, from when, uh, he trained with Arena, uh, yeah. Plus I have these- a, I have a friend of mine who I, I, I've met through uh, the local Magic the Gathering tournaments, and he cool. is currently uh, doing, on uh, weekends, He do, he's doing a Naruto watch-through, because he hasn't watched it yet. And I haven't been able to attend any of them yet, but he just sent me a message today. He's like, he just got to the Great Ninja War, and I just got a text saying, oh, like, this motherfucker Itachi hypnotized himself back to life, and I was like... Man, there is something very cathartic about witnessing somebody going through Naruto again, but from the opposite side. Like, I just sat there, I was like, I'm not going to tell him shit about the acid dimension or any of this. I'm just going to get to enjoy everything from the other side this time. They defeat them with hugs? I was like, <laughs> I sat there, I was like, I'm not even sure how much exa- is exaggeration and how much is literal anymore with what I thought about the series, but right. I, will, I will tell you the true ninjutsu is the friends they made along the way. <laughs> like that's, that's 100% real. Uh, we come out of the flashback in Suit Force. Soma says, yeah, I saw you got skill. Uh, you have tremendous talent. You've got these cooking tools that could make you let you make any dish. But there is one taste I'm willing to bet you've never had in your life. The taste of failure. And that flavor is the cornerstone of this dish. And I saw he's like, you talentless hack sure do say the darndest things. The taste of failure. I don't need that. Nobody wants that. I'm the chef of Joeitro Saiba. <laughs> just goes on this crazy rant about how great he is, and then there's this like rumbling up above them, and they're like, "Oh my god, that sound is coming from the it's coming from the gourmet chief. Is is it the gifting? It must be on par with Asahi's. No, no, this is different. This isn't the normal gifting. I wanted nothing more." For when they were like, there's a taste that you haven't had before. Something that you've <laughs> never truly had. And he's like, what? And he's like, the taste of a mother's love. And then the Sahi just sits there and starts crying. <laughs> and <then he laughs> some of the winner. And the judges are like, with his sick burn. <laughs> no, Nick Cannon comes out. He's like, yo, that was wild. Yo, winner, Sama Yuki Hira. And then they just move And on. then the DJ comes up. <laughs> As, as like the Showtime at the Apollo guy comes through and literally sweeps Asahi off the stage. <laughs> like three different random guys come out going, <laughs> as he's just sobbing in the middle of the stadium. That's right, you got told. <laughs> <laughs> you broke ass orphan <laughs> Simon didn't even love you that's why he abandoned you he left your ass for fucking nothing <laughs> why do you think he never adopted you bitch <laughs> you know how many birthdays to mine he showed up to all of them <laughs> can you say the same what's your record <laughs> 
Oh boy. Oh, who gives a fuck? That's what. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on. Oh right, that's my turn now. I forgot. Zero. Eden Zero, Chapter 45, The Battle Coliseum. And now I know what you're saying, Nick. Well, hold on. Battle Coliseum, didn't we just... What's the Battle Coliseum? They're going to go see... We're just making time sage. Why would we do a Battle Coliseum? Well, just you wait, Nick. You're about to find out. So, last time, we met Zhao Mei, the Time Oracle, who talks to the audience before two arcs and is a very enriched and entrenched character in this franchise uh, and she spends this arc basically explaining that she is uh not a fortune teller she is simply this sort of figurehead of time who is essentially all knowing throughout the cosmos she knows everything that will happen everything that has happened uh she knows military secrets she knows uh tomorrow's weather she knows basically everything that seemingly is important right anything you could want to know yeah and they explained they're like wait if you know everything isn't that weird because we heard time stopped on this planet and they're like she's like no but kind of yes so the way that this planet works is that time is frozen for you while you are here so you could spend years upon years upon years here and the second you leave would be exactly the second that you basically got here so no time would pass so if you ever want to come do training here yeah if you need a hyperbolic time chamber sequence essentially at some point and there's a couple moments where uh she is talking to them but she is also directly talking to us the audience uh particularly when they start discussing the ramifications of a planet frozen in time and she's like i wouldn't think too hard about it it's just how things are and i'm like that's a good way to deal with time travel because the more you explain it the worse it gets yeah i mean you might not like endgame if you think too hard about it so shut up and enjoy the ride <laughs> yeah i know there, there is a moment i still fuck off well i had to sit there time travel i don't have to sit there and i'm like so for Steve to have gotten back to that bench, no, 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 no. But no, I'm just saying he had to let 9/11 happen. <laughs> you, th- you think about it, he couldn't change stuff. It was the most American thing he could have done, Chris. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, so basically, they're like, "Hey, well, hey, we need a piece of information for you. So where's Valkyrie?" And she's like, "Well, I do know that information, but uh, I don't really." barter so much basically i want compensation and not monetary compensation i got five oh okay (laughs) they're like so what what do you want she's like well that information would be quote about a level 10 so we don't know what the scale is like it'd be great if she's like you know like a level 10 on a scale of 2433 like that's a pretty arbitrary number she's like it makes sense in the science world <laughs> in, in time in time planet and then uh basically she's like well i have something i want and she like snaps her fingers and they all turn to dust and they're dead she was thanos all along <laughs> And they are now trapped. That's right. My frozen in time thing was just the time stone. (laughs) And now all all you fools are trapped within the soul stone. See, it does something, everybody. It's not just there. It's not just there so that you have to sacrifice someone arbitrarily. (laughs) Uh, No, they all wind up. (laughs) 
in a battle stadium of all places. Uh, and Xiaomei abruptly loses all the mystique that she had as the time oracle. And she goes, uh, uh, Akeho, whatever it is, that weird fucking like porn fetish face where she's like, uh, well, I, I know everything in the universe, but I just specifically let myself not know how battles end. So that battles are really exciting. Oh, and sweaty fighting. Oh, Mm. And you're like, what the fuck is happening? Like a minute ago, you're you're the seer of time. By the way, just to not let the point slip away, she says that she limits herself on this. Mm. She could disallow herself from seeing anything that she wanted. She could be like. Yeah, I don't know how the next episode of, I don't know, The West Wing is going to end. Uh, I've got ba- some bad news for you, by the way. That series has been out for... No, no, no spoilers! <laughs> she could get entertainment any way she wants with this ability of hers. And she's like, no, 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 battles. It's a moment where you are harshly reminded that this is a battle series. And that sometimes battle manga have to just fucking crowbar in reasons so when they meet the time seer of course the one thing she doesn't know she's like i don't know how battles end, and that's the only compensation i want you're like sure i guess why not we're here so yeah that's what she's all about so she wants them to have a fight one of their champions versus one of hers and there's a moment where her is like okay well since we're looking for information about my mentor i'll be the one she's like i'll do it and again, Shiki's like, yeah, this is my mentor we're trying to find. So it's kind of my fight. Too. He's like, no, it's my friend, too. Have met them. My friend. I hate Shiki so much. <laughs> moments here, you're like, Shiki is a fucking asshole. And you just fucking despise him. But Shiki's the one challenging. Whatever. So they asked, like, hey, so if you know all the futures and everything like that, then why do you even have fights? Because like, even if you don't know how the fight ends, like wouldn't the result change the future? She's like, right. So I see all futures basically. So I see one where you win and then one where you don't. And you know, we don't really know what will happen beyond that. Fair enough. I love the line that Pino gives here, which is contrivance confirmed. (laughs) It sums it up so well. It's like, whatever. (laughs) Sure. Makes sense. I mean, I feel like if you only have sprit diverging paths for battle, then that seems like a weird arbitrary way that your power resolves. But whatever. Time travel. It's all it's all fine. So we meet Metal Bogey, who is a steel skinned warrior from the planet Zorg. It doesn't matter. Shiki punches him in one punch and beats him. And uh Everyone's very, very impressed about this uh, because Zhao Mei is like, oh, I thought he'd win, but I thought it would take more than one punch. And it ends with her saying, he's an interesting boy. I'd expect nothing less of mothers. And then I don't know if she trails off or because the panel cuts off, we're just not privy to it. It's bullshit either way. But yeah, clearly there's some connection between Shiki and mother. Okay. <laughs> That's really how you kind of have to resolve it. That's. It's. This chapter happened, and I was like, oh. 
So that little bit of optimism I had at the end of the last year, I was like, oh, this could be just like, no, gone. <laughs> All right, we're back to this, I guess. That's okay. We're going to have to get used to this with Eden Zero. We're, we're going to be stuck with this thing for like another seven years. So we might as well just get used to this cycle and be like, oh, maybe it's like, no. <laughs> All right, Chris, we've got some uh, new jump series to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, first off is the very newest series, Double Taisei. Which is about shogi. Uh-huh. Shogi. It's, it's chess. Yeah. It's chess with kanji and shit on it. So our main character is named Taisei, but he goes by Tai. Except when it's night, when his personality completely changes and becomes Sei. It's essentially Yami and Yuki. And, or, you know... It's also like Ikaro no Go. It's, it's a board game, and I no, no, Nick. It's very different. Those were people being possessed. This, this is a boy with very distinct split personality syndrome. And only one of them merges during the day, and only one of them merges during the night. For some reason. Whatever. It's the gimmick of the series. Mm-hmm. He has two personalities, and... Uh, Say, who is the night personality, is actually much more talented at uh, Shogi than Tai is, we learn. But because he could only come out at night, he couldn't, you know, attend these tournaments the way that Tai could. So he says just walked away from it and says just like, it's, it's not my place to be part of this because, you know, I can't participate in this stuff. And he tries to go and do other stuff. He goes out in the middle of the night on and plays guitar on the streets and annoys people. Like you do when you don't have anything else to do, I guess. Well, Nick, you see, he has extra time left in the day. He's already maxed out what he could try to get out of his charisma score for the day. He doesn't have any, uh, uh, confidant meetings left so at some point you just kind of you either play video games or you go to the baseball uh ring and you try to raise up your strength score he's just not feeling it right now so yeah i mean he's gonna make a little extra money on the side this is a very elaborate persona 5 joke that i've made a lot of mistakes in but i like to think that someone out there still appreciated it that was for you gotcha so ty goes to the shogi tournament the next day but he deliberately draws the match out so long so that Say can play the opponent at the end, and that's where the chapter ends. It feels like more of a one-shot than it does the at first chapter of a series mm-hmm. because it kind of wraps everything up in a nice little bow, like with him finally getting to do this, getting to play the way that he's w- wanted to, um, but has denied himself from doing I don't know about this. Um, it, I mean, we've seen a lot of these you know, board game manga come and go over the years we've been doing this show. And uh, I don't know if there's anything particularly special about this one that's going to allow it to stick around. And even if it does, eh, not, not really grabbing me. So. so I have two points I want to bring up about this series. The okay. first is there is an extremely shitty moment where I hate Ty. Because uh, he takes, basically, he, he hangs out at night and he just goes out fucking singing and dancing in the street and hanging out with like sort of the weird local like populace who kind of comes out at night. And there's a point when he takes his, his like high, you know, his middle school friend Kanade out. And mm-hmm. then she's like, oh shit, I have to fucking get home. So she she's walking home and she gets stopped by like 
I don't know, prank YouTubers or something like that who are trying to buy her pants Our prank off. is we're going to get this girl to take her shorts off. They, yeah, they're like, we're going to buy your panties for $1,000. And basically, they try to assault her. And there's this very annoying moment where after it all happens, it's it's kind of traumatic for her. So she's apologizing. And she's like, it's my fault. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have walked through here. And it just ends with him being like, don't worry about crying. We'll just apologize tomorrow. And I'm like, it'd been a lot better if you had mentioned to her that there was no need to apologize and that this was far more of his fault for not, like, taking you out in the middle of night, not walking you home or telling you, like, what way to avoid having fucking prank YouTubers attack you in the middle of the street. Which, but by the way, didn't know that that was the main assault demographic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but also... I want to note, uh, the opponent that Sai faces in the final, in the match that ends this chapter, is deliciously evil. It's him just sitting there, and he's like, hmm? It, it sounds like your piece has made a stupid move! I perhaps will challenge it! He's like a JoJo villain with his weird eccentric movements and everything like that. And he's just, just sitting there, he's like, is he falling asleep oh please let this end i want to ravage you to the end and i'm like i want this dude every chapter i want this to be the only <laughs> opponent he ever faces and he gets more cocky with each defeat <laughs> like when like when like an actual Yu-Gi-Oh villain shows up in a real life Yu-Gi-Oh tournament <laughs> and we're just kind of like yeah i played this and there's like ah <laughs> you fool you have activated my trap card. You see what this does. Like, yeah, I, I know what Mirror Force does. It's a very commonly played trap. It negates your attack. It destroys all of your face on monsters. Ah! I kind of expect this. Why I played counter also, I, counter I, trap I, I have, turn before. I have seven tools of the bandit, which nobody else plays because it's a really shitty card. But I don't know. I felt like playing it because this is just a locals. <laughs> <laughs> You fool! You stepped into my trap card, letting my mirror first be destroyed with no ramifications, and then taking your attack, and then starting my turn, please? I just I just dealt 18,000 damage to you in one swing. All right, match two. <laughs> That's what he's like. Hold on. I need to go back to the, the back room real quick and become even more extravagant. For, I need to so, come out in like a... a a peacock cloak for our next match. So are you going to stick with your queen bird deck or is there like an actual, you know, like good monster you're going to play or how dare you? <laughs> I use the ice skating monster archetype. Uh, what cyber plater? Yeah. Oh, that Asuka played in GX. Yeah. I, I was just trying to think of the most up cyber angels. Yeah, they got was... some. They got some new support not too long ago. So, still able to rock it. Good for them. Anyway, that's that's double taste. I, I'm sorry I, that I took us down the Yu-Gi-Oh route when I made that joke. I guess I just kind of like couldn't stop. <laughs> no, Nick, that's where I made that Persona Five joke. That's where you did it, and the people out there appreciate Yu-Gi-Oh. Look towards you, and they're like, "Nice, double taste, right. guys." I don't think we're going to be talking about it after Chapter Three. <laughs> Not. Let's talk about Samurai 8, The Tale of Hachimaru, Chapter 2, Visitor from the Sky. Um, I'm going to try and make this much shorter than it actually is because it's a very dialogue-heavy chapter. 
uh, of this series. Essentially, what happens is that Hachimaru takes advantage of his newfound powers and, you know, mobility to go out and see the town that awaits outside. Uh, but there are some assholes causing trouble in a tank that um, essentially it seems are they're we're going to have to deal with in the next chapter. And they're going around causing havoc so that they can do this whole crime scheme. And a random shell ends up taking Hayatoro out. And so Hachimaru goes crashing into um, a dojo where uh, this new character has completely shut themselves into. By the way pretty sure that we don't ever learn their gender and i yeah. kind of hope we never do that'd be kind of nice yeah it's specifically uh, uh ambiguous right now so probably best just use gender neutral pronouns uh but there is a, a moment where hachimaru uh he, he's not woke and he's just no. like if you have a dick between your legs then you're a dude no it's wrong. <laughs> I like it if that was just like, that's his defining character trait. He's like, I'm the cool, adventurous young protagonist, but I am very against progressive thinking when it comes to gender <laughs> identities. Um, nameless, the which I think is the only title that we'd learn for this character. Um, they have this thing where like their hands talk and I can't tell if they're robotic hands that actually talk or if that's how they talk to themselves yet it could be either or but when the conversation that the hands talk to each other um they disagree over what their gender is because one says that he's a man is like no she's a girl at heart so yeah anyway uh so hachimaru comes crashing into this place and we essentially learned that nameless is a tremendous shut-in who only really socially interacts with people at all through this online game that, by the way, Hachimaru is also a huge fan of and is like a legendary player in it because that was one of the few things that he could do while he was completely physically disabled and couldn't leave his home. Uh, Hachimaru, of course, introduced himself as a samurai and is like, hey, I, I, oh, you've got you're in a samurai dojo and you're a pupil here. So that means you want to be a samurai, too. And Nameless is just like, um, they're introduced as Nanashi, which means nameless. And Hachimaru is like, why don't you come up with your own name? And the hands are still talking and they're like, well, she's not even sure what gender she is. So she doesn't know whether to pick a male or female name. And Hachimaru's like, if you got a dick, you're a dude. If you don't, you're a girl. Oop, I just want to be like the next day. He's going to fight the pink person uh, who's like causing trouble. And he's going to defeat him. He's like, my ultra mega attack. Boy thing, blue things are for boys and pink things are for girls. Strike. <laughs> it's just like i mean it's pretty cool I, i'm not crazy on the name it seems weirdly weirdly how like, dare you question it ah, friendship for friendship is magic is for only adult men fuck girls <laughs> he's like boys and girls can never be friends without sex being involved strike the friend zone is the is the cruelest fate a man can suffer from strike like, it's very strange that you would be this like close-minded for being like a twelve, like a twelve-year-old kid who spent his entire life in like desperate need of companionship. 
I spent all my time on 4chan and Reddit. Oh, oh no. That's a lot. It's going to explain a lot about your character going forward. You know, birds aren't real. They're just drones by the government. Oh, my God. <laughs> Nick, we don't know. Earth, the curvature of the Earth is faked by NASA. 5G is going to destroy us all when we're sent to Walmart internment camps. Like, all right, Nick, we don't need to read Hachimaru anymore. I'm fine with it. <laughs> just let it go Kishimoto had one good one under his belt <laughs> he, he went a little bit crazy after he had no more Naruto to write <laughs> it's, a, it's a step better than Bench I guess but it's still I don't know if I want to read the whole thing <laughs> okay alright so Nanashi says like look i just play samurai fighting games here uh, just leave me alone I, i'm look uh, go away i like that nanashi says well i'm good at games because i don't have any friends or do anything else and hachimaru <laughs> just like that's a pretty rude thing to say about gamers <laughs> oh no oh no he's going off against the gamers have rights <laughs> You don't understand. I don't play games because I have no life. I play games so that I can live many. And he shows all of his favorite characters behind him. <laughs> While you were facing your life and learning how to learning about history, I was learning how to be a samurai warrior. And <laughs> you don't understand. I don't like Roger Ebert because he never fully acknowledged that games were art before he died. <laughs> So every Fuck year, him. So every year I go and take a shit on his grave. Wait a minute, I thought you were isolated to your room for your entire life up to this point. I found a way. <laughs> I take a dump on his gravestone and put a joystick in it. Tell me that isn't art. Dick face, you dead asshole. I'm glad. <laughs> why, why did the magic cat give this kid superpowers? <laughs> Does he not know? Dharma's like I have made a huge error <laughs> I do not actually care about people <laughs> I, chaos is a ladder <laughs> you know what? starting all that up since taking on this cat body I have developed a tremendous distaste for all of humanity <laughs> I just want to see the world burn meow now, now give, give me food. There's food in your bowl. I can see the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> There's not enough food then. <laughs> I'm going to knock shit off your shelves until you feed me. <laughs> and then I'll stab you with my sword. All right. Whew. So, Nanashi is like, because Hachimaru kind of like scolds Nanashi saying like, you know, it sounds like you wish you could go outside. Don't you want, you know, friends and stuff? And Nanashi's like, you sure act like you know a lot about me, even though I barely know myself. And Hachimaru says, well, I mean, I do know about you. No, you don't. You can go outside whenever you want. You could be a samurai. You talk about friends like they're easy to make. You don't have any clue how I feel. And Hachimaru is just silent in contemplation for a bit. And he's like, hey, instead of me talking to you like a human being, make a bet with me. Let's play around to your fighting game, and if you win, I'll leave. But if I win, you have to go outside and help me walk Hayataro. And Inashi's like, there's no point. I will win. I am the master. And so, so his, his argument's like, so 
I could talk to you about taking opportunities as they come to you and seizing them, but I could also just say if I beat you in Mortal Kombat, then you have to do what I say. And that's how a gamer solves his problems. Gamer life, man. <laughs> and now she's like, whatever. Do, 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 Apparently, you play this game by wearing like a VR headset and gloves and you go and um uh, yeah hanataro is a 99th level samurai wizard and so he wins the fight and he's like now you have to keep your side of the deal number two i'm the number one ranked player (laughs) and now she's like oh you know i was so sure that you would be just like me i felt a sense of kinship with you but I was wrong. We could be more different, number one player. And I, <laughs> he's like, no, no, I was actually exactly like you up until yesterday. <laughs> Literally like 16 hours ago. Also, uh, let's be real. Being a gamer sucks. So it's better if you go outside for a while and you'll know, live the life that's out there. So turns out if you wait four years, you find out the Call of Duty games haven't changed that much anyway. I'm waiting until this new trend of looter shooter stuff's being a big thing so that I can just play a game all the way from start to finish without waiting for a roadmap to finish. I have no idea what you're talking about, so cool. There you go, Nick. You finally separated yourself. Hachimaru says that uh, he has no idea what's going to happen today or tomorrow, uh, and he's glad that they are able to meet because, you know, this proves that, you know, he's got all these different opportunities out there. And also, hey, I made a really cool friend who's my age, which was a lifelong dream of mine. So who knows what else I can accomplish here? And now she says, well, why would you thank me for that? And Hachimaru says, because you made me feel as good as I do right now. Oh, a real human emotion at the end of this. You could have probably had this conversation without proving that he was a scrub that you could teabag. And he <laughs> He's like, I just wanted you to understand the dynamic of our relationship, though. I will always be superior to you. I will always be your better. It's like still wearing the gloves while they're talking. And he's just doing like the teabag motion with his fingers. Like, I'm just going to run through all the triumphant emotes uh, the, while we're talking like human beings, just to make sure that you know that I've humiliated you and pissed on your corpse. Hayataro shows up. Hooray. And they're like, all right, they're they're together. And then they all greet and they're friends now. And meanwhile, a tank is still causing trouble and they're going to probably have to deal with them after this chapter. It'd be great if so we just see like the panel of Hachimaru petting his dog and everything like that. If there was an actual speech bubble there and he's just like, girls should wear skirts. Like when we see it from the outside, it's a very innocent scene when you get close. <laughs> I think that a guy should try and sleep with as many women as possible, but only virgins because a girl is worthless after her her purity has been taken. <laughs> <laughs> like Jesus, dude. <laughs> anyway, how many notches do you have in your belt? It's like, Jesus Christ, man. I don't know if I want to be your friend. Yeah, I was like, why does the dog like you? Like, even Hitler had dogs. <laughs> By the way, Hitler had some good ideas. <laughs> I'm just saying, not all of them. Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Unless that baby's Jewish. No, no, she walks back inside and slams the door. <laughs> Take the sword away from this kid. Hachimaru oh, gets back home, tries to look up Nanashi, is like, you have been blocked by this player. 
<laughs> oh well, what was the scrub lord anyway? <laughs> oh man. Alright. I, I legitimately do have something I want to say about the series. Uh, and that's only that uh, I wish I felt like there was a defined aesthetic when it came to this series. Because it's kind of like future feudal Japan. But it's kind of hard to tell. Like, there's that big two-page spread where he's flying over the sky. And I was like, it's kind of like that. But it's also kind of like white blobs everywhere. So I'm not really sure what they're trying to go for on that. I'm reminded of when I saw Big Hero 6. And everyone was like, oh, San Francisco, it's so cool. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's just the it's just like big cities and different parts of Tokyo and different parts of San Francisco. And they're not combined in any interesting way. <laughs> and it, yeah, it's it, one of those things where it's like you expect you expect something to have this very weird eye catching, immediately appealing aesthetic because of just the idea behind it. And then it's like, well, it just looks like, you know, Naruto, but on a different continent. So, meh. Yeah, I think that a lot of this series is going to kind of be like, OK, is this going to be different enough from Naruto? And just because the samurai have cyborg parts doesn't really do that, especially because Boruto has all this technology ninja stuff in it now. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really help it stand out much when the two Kishimoto attached series running right now have basically the same gimmick, which yeah. is an old Japanese thing that has robots so yeah robot parts whatever <sighs> let's talk about this last sayuki which by the way i've looked up and apparently it's not doing particularly well in the polls so i'm trying to not get my hopes up too too high anymore um even though there's some sweet stuff in this chapter in fact i really like the beginning of this chapter 11 orphans where uh basically what's happening is a Ryunosuke is trying to help uh, Kaharu practice uh, fake walking by losing her levitation ability and just like kind of faking limb movements to make it seem like she can walk and that way she would be able to get around uh, and go outside and stuff. And it's like, oh, okay, that's sweet. Um, but a lot of this, this chapter focuses on uh, Estelle. Estelle Getty? TV's Golden Girl Sophia? Uh, sure, why not? Sweet. You can, pretend, you can pretend that the 11-year-old girl is her. Sure. Uh, we see her, like, lifting a dumbbell while doing a handstand by, you know, like, pressing it up with her feet. And Ryunosuke's like, what the fuck? And she says, well, you see, a human whose mo is opened is more deeply in tune with how to use their body. And you'll be able to do this if you put in the effort, too. Uh, and uh, so she brings up, like, you know, you wouldn't have to do the fake walking thing if you just stayed here and stuff. And Reno's is like, we can't stay here forever. We've got to go home eventually. And she says, oh, right. Yeah, you guys actually have somewhere you want to go back to. But sorry. Yeah. Uh, and Reno feels a little bad because he has a flashback to a conversation that he had with uh, Fukura, Furuka, sorry, uh, where he basically explains Estelle's backstory, which is that her mother Etoile was a senior official of Tokaishu, and she had that all that knowledge of, you know, fear can turn an illness into a monster. Uh, and she went against the top officials of Tokaishu being, uh, you know, taking advantage of that. But she 
wanted to save her only daughter and she was swayed by an emotion. And when, by the time they arrived on the scene, everything had already transpired. The monster had materialized from, uh, Estelle's, uh, Mo and, uh, Etoile saved her by fighting it and defeating it, but she was dead. She was killed in the battle. And, uh, so she was, her lifeless body was sitting next to her daughter still holding the Nyoibo and Estelle was gripping onto it as well. And Faruka gave, you know, was going to just, you know, like use the white Baku to erase her memory so that she could have a normal life. But instead she decided that she wanted to fight. So she ended up becoming his, you know, apprentice essentially. He's not really sure what her motivation was. Uh, maybe it was because she felt like she had nowhere left to go. Maybe she wanted revenge, but she, you know, has shut herself off from having a life outside of here in order to just become a strong warrior so that she can accomplish this goal. Um, Ryunosuke said something nice to Furuko, which is, you know, you told me this because you're hoping that I, Estelle and I can be friends. So, you know, don't be so hard on yourself. I know that you aren't a completely emotionless person. You haven't killed all of them off yet. I know that you have that, that you know, compassion deep down. Uh, and Fruga says, I didn't tell you all of this stuff out of kindness. I told you it out of necessity. She has a hole in her heart one day that will hinder her in battle. And that is one thing I am unable to heal. And uh, we cut back from the flashback. Uh, the three kids are hanging out for a bit. We learned that Estelle doesn't really have much of a connection with Faruka, uh, mostly because she thinks that he doesn't really care about her. Um which Rino's gaze knows is not true. Uh, and then that's basically it. That's all the important character growth stuff. Um, the second half of the chapter is about them prepping to go on a mission together. Essentially. Uh, it's going to be all four of them heading out, uh, on this. Uh, yes. Uh, Kohara was going to go as well. Uh, it, the leadership to kind of change their minds that she can come along and Furugo, you know, says like, Hey, you know, um, in order for you two to stay together, this is the decision you've got, you know, either you've got to fight these monsters or you have to go against the Kaishu's wishes. So, you know, what are you, what are you going to do? And Renesca says, well, look, as long as we can stay together, we're going to fight anyone who gets in the way of that. And yeah, we'll go on the monster mission with you guys. Cause I don't really want to fight you all. But, you know, ever since that day, I know that as long as the two of us keep pushing for it, we can stay together. And he gets this really demonic looking expression on his face. Honestly, like, don't fuck with me. That's <laughs> his connection with Ko with Kohara triggers. And Estelle gets kind of freaked out by it. And Farouk realizes that his Mo has opened a lot. So he's got this strong potential with him. But uh, he also says to Friuscape, asks Estelle, hey, you know, I don't actually have a lot of experience, you know, fighting monsters. So be my guide, please. And uh, then they go out to this uh, field where there are there are all these gates and they are going to travel through one in order to go on this mission. And that is it. That's the chapter. So. Uh, I'm still kind of at that point where I'm just not able to get into a series. And I had a small discussion with some people in a, in a Discord about maybe why there seems to be an issue with it. 
or why maybe some people are having trouble connecting with it. And I, I think for me, it really just comes down to I, I thought this was a series that was going to be kind of different than a Battle mm-hmm. Shonen series. And over time, it's becoming more and more a Battle Shonen. Right. And I'm worried it's going to land in a middle spot where it does neither of those two things to its best ability. And that's where I kind of am in with it right now, where I'm like, I'm not really interested in following this as a battle series, but also as this like kind of weirdly existential <clears throat> horror series, it's almost completely dropped that at this point. Yeah, it's lost a lot of that identity that made the first chapter so ridiculously wow eye-catching yeah. uh, that moment of the monster being real and terrorizing Rinosuke after he had spent that time in the dark shed being left with his own horror. Uh, yeah, things are a lot brighter than that and also just kind of taking a while to get to the point uh-huh. too. So it's possible that it could get better but i don't know it seems like it's just kind of like waiting to end at this point so yeah all right let's move on to we never learn all right we never learn question 111 a predecessor's pizza bet visit can sometimes turn peculiar so this chapter we got a Asahi on the front cover, so it's going to be a fun Asahi chapter, except Asumi. for the first page. Asumi, rather, uh, except for the first page, we see it's a Kirisu chapter because you just you got to get one of those. You can't go too long without probably, one. Like, yeah, yeah, like she's the most months. popular character in the series. So the whole the whole hook to this chapter is that Kirisu is looking for a new apartment building, and Uega is like. Well, you're hopelessly incompetent in everything else in life, so why would you be good at picking an apartment out on your own? So he's going to go with her. I better help you. Yeah, because she's ready to just buy things sight unseen, essentially. So they well, find, well, well it, it, it's, it's not quite that simple. But it, It's because there's an apartment. She's like, this looks great. But the note's like, tenant has to take a full responsibility for whatever happens. And he's like, that seems really suspicious. Especially because the monthly rent is is uh, 20,000 yen, which is $200. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> and it's a four minute walk from the, the train station. So, yeah, it's it's a very suspicious place. So they go and look it's at it. It's comparative like, where it's like, oh, nobody wanted this place because of all the neon signs on the opposite side. But, oh, he got a great he, he doesn't care because he's blind. It's like, so nobody knows what blackout curtains are. <laughs> and that was Nick's one problem with Daredevil. <laughs> He was like, this doesn't, the make, this doesn't make sense. I'm, fi- I'm fine with his magic powers and the resurrection of corpses. But for real, no one would have taken a great apartment in New York City in Hell's Kitchen for just, what, $40 worth of blackout curtains? This is ridiculous. <laughs> Dear Marvel, I'm glad you're canceled. Sincerely, <laughs> Nicholas, go fuck yourself, Freeman. There's a lot of Netflix Marvel that I haven't watched yet, so it's sad. And, uh, next month is when the last season of Jessica Jones comes out. And you're like, why even do it? Why are you like putting this out to pasture and fuck in front of us? <laughs> Anyways, so they go to the apartment. Yuega's like, this seems really strange. It's odd. He goes to trip on one of those like those small kind of mini steps from like the the foyer into like the main hallway, and he's like, someone catches his coat. He's like, oh, thanks, Sensei. And he sees that she's in front of him. He's like, huh? Well, I must just be 
having a, like delusions because I'm studying too much, you know, that sort of thing. And then Karasu's like, oh, I hear children playing upstairs. This must be very nice. And then he, Yuega's like, wait a minute, aren't we on the top floor? Oh, well, I guess we are. I must be imagining children <laughs> laughing in front of us. And Yuega's like, wait, we both imagined it? <laughs> Uh, and then there's a moment where she sees a, a painting being hung and she's like, ah, this is an important thing to look out for because a lot of times homeowners who are trying to sell or places trying to rent out will hang up paintings to hide damages. So she pulls the painting off the wall and she's like, nope, but this one's fine. And as you can see on the other side of the painting is a whole bunch of like wards and spell tags that have been placed under the back that are like big god evil forces. <laughs> And I do like Yuega because he's like, sensei, back of that. And she's like, wow, you could truly find art wherever you look in this place. And then probably hangs it back up. I love how, like, nonplussed by everything Kurisu is in this chapter. It is brilliant that that's her response. She's like, wow. A true artist really knows how to make good use of every surface they have available to them. <laughs> Hangs it back up. <laughs> it's like, they get into the bathroom, there's like a message written in blood, and she's like, oh, God, the tenant, the, the, the landlord's really got to clean this up. <laughs> they, ne- they never cleaned the bathroom before? This is ridiculous. Hand- there's bloody handprints everywhere. I'm going to have to scrub those out if I get this place. You realize that I'm, I can't trust them to do it. And well, you it's like, ah! <laughs> Uh, so there's a moment where Uega like kind of like grabs her because he's so scared and he's he's terrified. He's like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I I'm terrified. And uh, there's a moment where there's like the weird misunderstanding because Kirisu is like, remember what your 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 mother said. You at least wait until you grant. And then Uega's just like, oh, the place is haunted. I'm not sure exactly what point Carissa got all these things in her head, but apparently she turned into one thirsty woman uh, in the last 20 chapters or so. It's it's amusing because she sees a picture covered in tags of spell wardings, then walks into a bathroom filled with bloody handprints and all ignores it as part of like the, the world just is as it is. But she cannot assume that any point of contact isn't a marriage proposal from this boy. Like, it's this weird disconnect where she's completely oblivious to everything and then otherwise way too ready to immediately jump into the first, like, suspicion over it. Well, I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that her character wasn't like that. Yeah, Uh, she never really Until very recently, honestly. So I'm trying to figure out exactly at what point that changed. Yeah. Might have been the fact that you would get... Uh, had that long arc that helped her out and stuff, and then she and she's like, "Oh wow, he's he's like a person. He's hot shit, as they say." So she goes to hang out in the bathtub, and she's for like, "Oh, it's, yeah." So for some reason, she she takes her shoes off and goes to hang out in the bathtub as you do. And she's like, "Oh, geez, I thought Yuego was so mature, but ghosts and curses. What a silly boy, after all." And then she's like, huh, that's a pretty big bathtub. You could easily fit two adults in here to bathe together. And then she starts thinking of her and Yuega in the bath together. Him and his deliciously chiseled pecs. <laughs> yeah, which, what was it, like, the other week ago that he, he was on a, oh, he, like, pulled his back lifting Asumi onto the right. table. So he has all these muscles that are apparently completely for show. Where it's like, ah, oh, 
I don't know how to lift. <laughs> I don't know the properties. I have failed kinesiology. <laughs> and she's like, oh my god, why am I having these 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 images? Oh, so Yuiga goes to like wash up. Yuiga, who is wearing cleaning. a shame sign, by the way. <laughs> he's cleaning up and he's like, oh geez, I guess I really am silly. And he he goes to uh he drops the cleaning cloth. He goes to pick it up, and there's a little girl with like a little puppet doll hanging out in the bottom of the sink. So he runs and leaps into the bath with Karasu, <laughs> and the little girl comes in, and I love it because she's like, "Ah, oh, Francois, we have visitors again. Hello, let's play, let's play." And it's probably the greatest moment in this chapter with Karasu, where she's like. It's not what you're thinking. He's, he's just my student. We're not having anything weird going on. I wasn't thinking about how big his dick is a second ago. And the little girl's like, oh, that's great. Everyone always assumes I'm a ghost, but you were way more obsessed with something else instead. I like you people. Like the creepy little girl that no one knew shows up and she's too busy being like, I have to defend myself. I don't want to get fired. <laughs> And that's the whole thing. She's like, yeah, I like to sneak in here and play, and everyone gets scared and leaves, and that's fun, you know, et cetera, et cetera. He's like, ah, I guess we just jumped to conclusions about this, and maybe this was a very educational vision after all. There's so a then, cute little moment where, where the little girl is, like, offering her puppet to Kirisu. It's, oh, they're playing. Yeah. So they go they're to the realtor, and this is the worst realtor on the fucking planet, because oh. they literally have the contract in front of her, and... He's like, oh, I'm so glad you like the apartment. She's like, yes, it's excellent. And I really like the little girl who lives next door. She's adorable as well. And he's like, hmm? little girl? Why, there's no little girl there. Oh, except, well, there there was a little girl who, oh, she passed away. And that was, it must have been 15 years ago. Oh, no, 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 do please sign on that dotted line for, like, he couldn't have waited five minutes to drop, like, yeah, I don't, I think there's a dead girl next door, something like that. And that's essentially the end of the chapter, we then go back to the, uh, the apartment to see the little girl hanging out on the balcony, laughing about, like, how she's like, I hope that cute couple comes back, it's been nice to have someone to talk to after all these years, Francois. She should have taken that apartment. She still should have. I mean, that fucking, that little girl is very friendly, it seems like. Yeah. And $200? Holy shit. You could buy a lot of alcohol to just drink yourself through the trauma <laughs> if there is some. Plus, it would have been nice to have someone come by to keep her honest about keeping the place clean. Oh, yeah. You know, someone just, like, pops by up. The- like, every time she just tries to throw another, to just throw, like, another, like, uh, unwashed set of clothes in the pile, like, suddenly, a little, you know, her head sticks out of it, just emerges from the clean it up <laughs> i love it if like the ghost is trying to haunt her but she's so filthy and bad at cleaning and she can't like she's trying to like open the doors really quickly and like it's seems getting stuck she's like we got trash bags behind the fucking door what are you a goddamn animal like she goes to like blood starts trying to come up from the sink she's like it's fucking claws what? how the fuck do you call get some draino jesus christ i'm going out to the store and i'm gonna get some draino and i come back I know, I know what I'll do. I know what I'll do to teach you a lesson. I'm gonna like have maggots appear on all your food, and there's already maggots in it. Uh, throw this Jesus out! Jesus Christ! It's in my food too. You fucking pig! <laughs> all right, let's get to Doctor Doctor Stone. 
Time to get stoned. It's cold hotty, Nick, because this is a chapter about a very attractive lady. Yeah, Zeke was 105, the island greatest beauty. Uh, so last chapter, we were introduced to the greatest beauty on this island uh, where the Soyuz capsule is. Uh, and uh, Gen and Senku and Kohaku and Soyuz attract her down and uh, they're going to approach her and try and uh, get her to give up some information so that they'll be useful to him. And Gen is thinking to himself, like, all right, yeah, it might be a little bit tricky. She's, you know, this, be- this beautiful woman's probably got some tricks but I'll, I'll i'll as a mentalist i'll i'll show her what i'm made of but uh it seems that i've been beaten to the game of seduction because there are three suitors that we saw at the end of the last chapter have shown up and we see that they each embody one of the three most important aspects of uh, that a man can offer to a woman which are looks strength and fishing prowess <laughs> I love just that detail. Like that's what he brings to the table. What is like well, that makes sense. That might actually be the most important thing to offer out of all three of them because you know they live on an island. You have gotta get food somehow. Yeah. Uh, we also get a little bit of insight of Kohaku's character. Apparently, she really likes uh, seeing guys fall over themselves trying to impress women. So maybe she's a shipper. Yeah. She's, uh, coming, up, she's coming up with cute head cannons for them right now. Yeah, she's uh, she's like, oh, yeah. And, you know, like Black Widow and Hawkeye, I'm sure, you know, that they there's a deep connection between them that goes beyond. Like, what the fuck, Bruce? Really? <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. It all ends. <laughs> all climaxes were a joke where he That's falls okay. into it's his a, chest. It's OK. Yeah. Bruce Banner and Natasha, that that romance is going places. It'll definitely have ramifications beyond this movie. <laughs> we won't just completely shish kebab it in the Thor movie. <laughs> so the girl whose name is Amaryllis, um, you know, acts very shy and uh, like takes a little bit, uh, dab of something and sprays it into her eyes so that she can immediately force tears. And it's like, no, they'll come for me tomorrow and I have to join the master's harem. Whatever happens to everyone, you'll just be petrified. If you, if you do this, you know, that's what happens to people who defy him. And they're like, Oh, we know. And then they rush off crying because they, they, they don't have a chance. And so Seku's like, all right, so this master, huh? All right. We've made the right choice of tailing this woman. She's going to lead us right to the big bad boss we got to beat. And uh, so Gen's like, all right, yeah, maybe we share a common foe with this, with this, with this uh, Amaryllis. So she will lead us to the treasure we seek if she, if she knows his whereabouts. However, we must be very careful about the first impression we make because that decides 90% of everything. So we must approach cautiously. And so he's just like, hey, where's the Soyuz capsule? <laughs> <laughs> Where is it? What's up? And Amarillo's like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> um, but um, she thinks like, did did the master send you? I was expecting you tomorrow, not today. Uh, and Gen's trying to think like, oh, that's so used. Do you do you know anything about this master? Does that ring any bells? But he doesn't remember anything. But while he's trying to think of this, uh. Amaryllis takes sight of him and is like, you must be the master. I love you. You're so strong, such kind, embracing eyes. I can tell you're the one for me. And he falls forward, hook, lion, sinker, like his brain explodes and he falls over. 
um, as if he's been petrified. But after a little bit of time is explained, no, no, he's not the master. And so Amra's like, oh, oh, you just have the look of a leader. And the other three don't look like people who are from this island. Um, so Kok is like, well, you're talking about master. Is that like, you know, a chief? Because in that case, you know, Senku is the master. And she tries to do the same thing with Senku, just embracing him. And is like, master, you are such strong. Well, maybe you're not actually all that strong. You are such kind. Actually, you look kind of evil. Uh, intelligent eyes. That's what I'm looking for. I, uh, from the moment I saw you, I could tell Senku's like, uh, where's the treasure? <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Treasure, bitch. <laughs> I think that we have to, because Gen explains this says until civilization is back, Senku will not fall for such tactics. He has no interest in that. But I have to wonder at this point, between marrying Ruri and immediately being like, yeah, I need a divorce so that we can actually get on with this thing. And this, maybe he's just not into women. Like, maybe he's gay or asexual or something. Like, he's, he seems to just they have no interest in this, despite being, you know, like 17 years old or anything. So That's what, that's what Kohaku is doing in her background. She's head cane. She's under fan fiction. <laughs> she's like, hey, it's not important to the story, but I'm allowed to find what I want out of this, and she's going to yeah. do it. Kohaku, the only Tumblr girl that exists in the uh, New Stone Age. <laughs> she creates Tumblr. <laughs> See, I invented this basket that you fall down a hill and you tumble down it while you think of headcanons. <laughs> and you respond to everything with hashtags. Nobody uses this. It was almost exclusively used for porn until I put until, a kibosh to that. <laughs> until I sold it to someone who said that there should be no porn on it, even though that was the reason that I was able to get such a good price for it. <laughs> anyway. Um... Gen tries to like say like, "Hey, I'm the master. If you want to, you know, push your boobs up against my chest," and she's like, "Nah, you're not." <laughs> Gohaku's like, "Hey, if you're so desperate to get some nookie, maybe I'll hug you again." And he's like, "No, please don't kill me." <laughs> <laughs> uh, but she, uh, Amaryllis, all of a sudden hears a commotion coming from the village and she rushes off uh, to see what's going on because apparently the guys who want to fuck her so badly want to um, riot against the master and kill them so that they can, you know, have, you know, have their chance to win her affections. So they're causing all this ruckus and they realize and everyone realizes, oh, this is this is going to be a problem because like he's obviously going to turn his petrification beam or she, whatever, is going to turn their petrification beam on everyone and turn them to stone. So we have to stop them. So Kok is like, I know I'll kill them with my sword instead. <laughs> I'm like, I mean, I can't really argue with that. She's got <laughs> I mean, she's got a point. Fortunately, Senku came prepared. Uh, and so he whips off uh, a cover on a on a gadget on uh, Gen's back, and uh, they've got fucking tear gas spray that they managed to stop the rioters with. Why they not? had this all along, Nick? They've always had tear gas. I guess so. <laughs> um, time passes. Uh, it seems as though night falls. In fact. And uh, so Amaryllis is talking with uh, with the group and they, they're they like, 
I don't, I don't really know who, who you are, but I, I, I get the feeling that we're on the same side. So I know the secret behind the petrification beam. And what I was going to do was I would join the master's harem in order to get close to him and defeat him. And I did this so that I could save everyone. I would become the island's greatest beauty all for this. So please help us fight by my side. And we get a little video game achievement thing. Poppy, I'm next to Senku that the world's the island's greatest beauty. Amaryllis has joined the party. Uh, this is one of those things that happens in Dr. Stone where we get this new character introduced and we don't really quite get them right away because it's, it's a, it's a deliberate, um, reaction that, uh, Dr. Stone goes for sometimes, which is like, we're not going to actually tell you the reader what this character is all about just yet because our heroes don't really know what they're all about just yet. And I'm sure as we get to know Amaryllis more, we're going to get more insight into just how, what just how much of her manipulation is like her being just a manipulative person and how much of it is being done for the right reasons? Because, I mean, she says this is her reason for doing all this stuff, but mm, who knows if she's you know actually a good person or not, even at this point. I do uh, appreciate that by this point in the in the story, it seems as though people haven't actually quite seen through the fact that she's got that manipulative side to her. Um, they picked up that she seems to latch on to the person who she thinks is the master, but I don't think anyone actually noticed even again that she, you know, slapped the uh, eye drops into her eyes in order to make it look like she was crying and stuff. So, yeah, I, uh, I, I think it's, it's a cool mystery that we got currently going on and Mm -hmm. I'm excited to see where it goes. But yeah, as you said, we kind of have like one piece of everything currently going on right now and we need to kind of wait till we find out the rest but super solid mm-hmm. okay let's go to seven deadly sins nick it's last chapter chapter 311 uh oh wait no it's called it's not over yet <laughs> so last time in the final epilogue chapter elizabeth was crushed alive by a giant rock no, she wasn't. Uh, no, she's not, because it actually does make sense that with like seven superpowered uh, godlike figures around that somebody would have been able to have seen a giant rock falling and get her out of the way. Right. No it's not did. like in the climber where he was just like lost in his own head and a rock hit him and is like, no, there's a rock falling. There are a bunch of superheroes around me. One of them noticed the rock falling. Yes. Yeah, one, one of them wasn't thinking of it like what a fool I've been all these years. Uh, uh, Merlin got Elizabeth out. And she's fine, but they find that the curse of reincarnation has remanifested atop of her, and they're like, "Shit! Like it's it's just gonna kill her again." So, you know, uh, Melodius tries to blow it up again. You see him using like the full power of the new demon lord, essentially, and it you know, rips the the reincarnation apart. But then it starts manifesting again. They're like, "Wait, I don't get it. Why is only the curse on the princess returning over and over again?" And they say, well, that must mean that the Demon Lord didn't kick the bucket after all. So, dun dun dun. Uh, there's a bit of theorizing going on because if the Demon Lord had to pick a new vessel, then he couldn't have just picked anybody because most people's bodies wouldn't mm-hmm. physically be able to handle the power of the Demon Lord. So, that's all like, seven of the seven deadly of the, uh, oh, that's all of the Ten Commandments, rather. Yeah. Yeah. So they're like, well, then what are we like? Who could it possibly have gone for? And Melodius seems to already know who it is. Uh, we cut back over to Cusack, 
who is smiling. And we see a flashback that shows how, uh, after being defeated by a male, both he and Chandler, the great demon lord Chandler, were split apart. And in that moment, they saw all the commandments kind of go towards them, and they were waning. Basically, like fucking Dragon Balls. Like, oh, we gotta collect these all up. And they grab them, and then they find Zeldris, and they take Zeldris away. And Chandler has this big plan. He's like, fuck this guy. Let's go gather all these commandments, and we give them to Melodius, and then Chandler just or Cusack just fucking splits him in half with his sword. And he's like, yeah, you know what? Sorry, old friend, but uh, I think we're gonna try something different this time. And then he just completely cubes him. (laughs) He fucking destroys Chandler. Presumably that's the end of the great demon lord Chandler. Although, could I be in any more chunks of meat? (laughs) (laughs) Could I be any more meat chunkier? Uh, Nick, who's the main character, friends? Of friends? Yeah. Ooh, that's like asking what's the meaning of life, man. (laughs) (laughs) I think it might be Joey. Honestly, really, it's I mean, it's really hard question, though. I said Rachel, because the first story of the show involves her, basically, like it's it's the whole thing with her and Ross. Right. And that's like the most prevailing story arc of the show. Mm. So I maintain it's her. A friend of mine, though, was like, it's Chandler. And I was like, you're just a fucking idiot. Nah, nah. Chandler, the second most important half of the second most important couple in the series, despite the fact that Chandler Monica is like the one that, you know, is the better relationship. I was going to say the one you should actually aspire towards as opposed to the other one. Hey, a healthy relationship with people who care about each other. (laughs) So, yeah, uh, Cusack basically grabs Eldris, grabs the commandments, takes them away somewhere safe. Puts all of them in there, has a whole speech about how he feels like Zeldris is a son to him. He knows that all those feelings have just been kind of implanted in him by the Demon Lord, but he still feels them and he wants Zeldris to be strong. So he, he gives all the commandments to Zeldris. There's a brief moment before the commandments go into him that Zeldris says, no, don't stop. He doesn't actually say it, but he's thinking it. And then all the commandments go into him and uh, he wakes up the new Demon Lord to see Cusack as Cusack is fading away into nothingness. And uh, then he's like, be gone. And he just kills him. He's like, you you nauseate me. You've served your purpose. And we realize that the Zeldris we knew is gone for the one that has taken over his body is the Demon Lord. And Nick, it's not over yet. How much of an asshole do you feel like for reading three fucking chapters called Epilogue and then the final chapter that then ends with it being like, there's a new arc, bitches! I don't even know if it's going to be a new arc or if it's just going to be like, this is the actual final battle! (laughs) I I wanted this to go on for another 400 chapters so that when you're reading the collected volumes later on, you're like, why were there like five chapters called Epilogue? (laughs) And then it abruptly continued for a really long time. I do not know how this is going to play out, but I I don't know. Something about this really rubs me the wrong way that it seemed like everything was resolved. It's like, nope, Zeldris got possessed instead. And it's, it's just kind of like, I don't know, of all the different directions you could have taken from the previous chapter, this seems like a kind of lame one. Um, if- I'm going to give it a chance to you know play out. But for right now, I'm just eh, I don't really like it. 
it does like address a couple things that weren't answered by the ending that was kind of being presented to us but at the same time those answers were kind of better left unexplored like what happened to Zeldris you know why did we abruptly meet uh whatever Gelda whatever her name was so that she could just vanish away kind of out of the story and then you know what happened to the two demons are they truly dead you're like there's a question you could have left unanswered but if we're going to explore it then hopefully there's something more interesting at the end of this right and then finally let's end this week by talking about black clover by the way there's no promise neverland or one piece this week so nick gets a break at the end of the episode i know i'm back to back Page 205, The Truth of 500 Years. So we're back in the past, seeing what happened to the Elven Kingdom as Leashed has been possessed by the devil and has become this giant monster, evil abomination of negative mana, basically. And he's he's causing all sorts of problems. But Lumiere is there and he's like, ah, I see now why I was born with so much magic. It's so that I won't let you become a murderer so he protects this, you know, the, the innocent city of uh, all the people, the the capital, I guess, is the only name it's ever been actually given. Uh, he protects the capital from being destroyed by using these energy blasts to counter it, uh, his light magic. And they're like, ah, as a uh, Secre, I believe was her name, watches Secre. on. Yeah, yeah, she watches on from the outside. She's like, oh, the magic item we made with my magic did this. It was supposed to help people. Whoa, what have I wrought? Why? And the devil is kind of just, he's basically floating along like a fucking ghastly. He's just like, ho, 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 what a nuisance. What is he attempting to accomplish? Ho, 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 ho. <laughs> and uh, they're like, yeah, you know, like, what can I possibly do? Because the, 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 the demon puts all of its hands together and is making like a super blast. He's like, shit, even if I block it, the country, you know, the capital is going to be destroyed behind me. How, how could I even block that in the first place? And Sekere's like, ah, use our magic item. The one meant for peace and equality. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit of an odd thing to say in that particular moment, but all right. Sure, Sekere. So they use the magic item to start uh, basically kind of sealing away the magic and to kind of counter its, its big laser blast move. And it's not able to absorb all of the power but it sort of stopped the, the demon leashed in its tracks for the moment, and the negative mana is thinning. Basically, Leash has gained enough control of himself to leave himself defenseless as uh, Lumiere creates an enormous light magic sword and just fucking rips Stab. it straight through the creature and uh, turns it to ash and leaves that very distinctive horned devil face that we've seen throughout the series. And everyone in town's like, he saved us. The prince saved the kingdom. Huzzah, huzzah. And a uh, ghastly devil is like, ha, they kept me from getting to body, but that was quite entertaining. But I suppose I shall just take my grimoire and get out of here. <laughs> and then <laughs> anyway, Sekra's like, get the fuck back here, you shit. <laughs> so she goes and she uses her ceiling magic, which she always thought was uh, was not that good. But it turns out it's super convenient for sealing untold evils into things. It's almost as if we had, you know, not overlooked this. She would have actually been like put in like a specialty police force or something. Yeah. She uses specifically all the magic stones from the elves to help create this the seal to keep the demon trapped, and uh, she she seals them away. But she's she's kind of tapped out of mana. She's used too much, 
and Lumiere is starting to die, so she's she's going to use her magic to basically seal him into the stones. So he'll be preserved. It's not going to be perfect, but he'll live. And they're like, but if you use forbidden magic, you'll lose your humanity. And she doesn't care. So that's why she's a bird now. And Lumiere was a statue. And they did everything they could to to watch over Leash's grimoire. But now they're back and they're going to put an end to this long fight. So we cut back to the present. A bunch of people fighting the slug monsters or leech monsters, whatever they were. And uh, then they show up. And that's chapter. And Nasta's like, I don't know what's happening. I haven't been privy to this conversation. I, I also like I, I as I was getting ready to uh, discuss this chapter uh, going through it, I was like, OK, you know, there's I've, I've got a little bit of an issue with this part of the flashback, this part. Um, but, you know, in terms of just like there's a lot of stuff, especially like as as uh, Sekra is uh, getting stuff done. Um, there's just kind of like a lot of explaining the plot in a way that characters would never actually realistically talk. Um, like, this is what is going to happen now. And that is why I am doing this, you know, kind of thing. Uh, and that does bug me a little bit. Also, this the pacing of this is, as is typical of Black Clover, is a bit too fast for my liking. But it was minor issues I was having in, uh, while appreciating the fact that Lumiere and Sekra, I, I do really like as characters. They're, you know, uh, some very likable people who I feel like I would want to follow. Uh, and then we cut back from the flashback and Asta shows up and we're just like, <sighs> being away from him made me forget how much I dislike him. <laughs> and then he shows up again. And I'm like, oh, God, these characters that I kind of liked are now going to just have to interact with him. <laughs> <laughs> describing oh they're just gonna be relegated to having to communicate with fucking asta so so you can have the same response to everything they do <laughs> so yeah it's it's one of those things where it's like I, I i dislike asta so much that it's affecting my ability to even appreciate the other parts of black clover now because it just like he shows up giving like uh yeah so I will say that this flashback was, I mean, despite the fact that it was pretty short, it was two chapters long, it's quite effective in establishing who the characters were and what was going on and stuff and made it feel like, I, hey, I would go totally have been up for a much longer sequence of uh, them going through all this stuff and really getting to know who they were before all this demon stuff get down and get a more long, intense battle with the demon back in the past and stuff. Yeah. There's a lot there's a lot of like relationship between Sekre and Lumiere I kind of wanted to see more of to really get like there's supposed to be kind of a lot of sacrifice to the fact that she yeah. gave up her humanity to help save him. For hundreds of years, she was, you know, trapped in this form and she was waiting to be reunited with this with this friend. And then as soon as they're reunited, they got to go take care of business again. So, yeah. All right. Let's wrap this up then. Yeah. Let's uh, move on to. Uh, wait, there was no one piece. Duh. I already said that. <sighs> Favorite series and MVP of this week. Who we're kind of kind of a structure for choices aren't we because uh i'm gonna I, there's an answer that's good 
I'm gonna my hero academia is my chapter of the week because I think it was the most interesting chapter and it's the one that kind of got me the most intrigued. And my character is gonna be twice. Now, I don't think this is a particularly great chapter for twice. Like it's probably going to be that the next chapter about twice is actually gonna be the ones where you're gonna be really interested in it. This one makes me more worried about twice, but no one else really stuck out enough for me right. this week that I was like, oh, I'm gonna go for them instead. Like Maybe what a, a Marilis or whatever, but I, I think I'm still gonna go with Twice because I'm just more interested to find out what is gonna happen with Twice. I'm gonna kind of reluctantly agree because I'm kind of right there with you in terms of like there weren't a lot of characters that I can point to and say like that was something that I really thought was cool about them. Maybe Sekra, honestly, would be my second choice. Uh, as for my chapter of the week, I'm gonna go with We Never Learn. Uh, oh. I thought it was a very amusing chapter, um, and I liked it, honestly, from start to finish. So I've, I've, chosen, we, I've chosen We Never Learned Before, Chris. No, so I'm just I'm, I'm sorry. Sometimes I look at myself in the camera, and I just make faces towards myself. <laughs> so who is that weird-looking guy in there? <laughs> My favorite thing is when I'm playing Magic against somebody, and they're busy looking down at their cards. When they come up, I'm just like, yeah, you go. <laughs> To see the response, I'm like, what the fuck's happening? (laughs) And uh, let's see. I think that... uh, What was the audience pick? Oh, sorry. Uh, It's My Hero Academia and twice for the audience as well. Yeah, that definitely looks like it. Yeah. Okay. All right. That is going to do it. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for Weekly Manga Recap. We record the show again on Wednesdays at around 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, so you can tune in here on twitch.tv slash uh, and uh, smashcast.tv slash in order to join us for those live recordings. And, of course, if you want to check out previous episodes of our show, you can find us on YouTube and on iTunes and on weeklymoggerecap.podbean.com. If you would like to send us a recommendation for us to talk about, you can join the Weekly Manga Recap Discord server, where there is an entire Weekly Manga Recap Google Doc that keeps track of recommendations, previous recommendations, superlative awards, favorite series and MVP, all sorts of different stuff that NinjaX3i has arranged for us to very handily keep track of. The recommendation that we're going to be taking a look at this week, because we are coming off of that very strange series that involved, you know, self-examination uh, and uh, finding your place in the world. So we're going to read something stupid instead. It's called Girl's Source, which is about a guy who uh, becomes traumatized because a very fat woman uh, confesses to him while naked and then body slams him. Uh, and so he is afraid of women now and he ends up somehow getting involved with the women's boxing club and it's a harem series, but he's afraid of women. What? Yeah. What the fuck? All right, fine. I guess that's so. <laughs> going for all right i love it when girl source and if we feel like it girl source dx because girl source is a very short series all right guys that's gonna do a freaking recap this week catch you next time no joke all right farts there you go